Well, hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. Welcome to another episode of the 1946-1947 season of the Jack Benny Show. It's 2022, and the gang and I will introduce the episodes. Uh, we also have the actual script that we'll show on YouTube of um, from 1947. And as you watch the show and listen to it, It'll have this script appear, and the pages will turn for you as they get through that dialogue. It's a fun, unique way to experience the Jack Benny show. The, in the show notes will be a connection to that, so you can link up to that and watch the YouTube performance of this. Uh, also, I have uh, pictures that go through and show the uh, pictures from my Jack Benny collection of pictures that... Uh, will show as you watch the episode. So it's kind of cool watching on YouTube. I've added a new feature this, this time of uh, Dennis Day when he sings a song. It's got pictures of, of Dennis, a lot of different pictures from my collection of Dennis Day. Uh, just kind of a fun way to experience the episodes. Uh, the one thing you, you get that we don't talk about in the intros is from the 1936-37 season, uh, we are finishing up the feud, and that's happening uh, if you watch that part of the episode So, and listen to that. So anyway, without further ado, here we are. Uh, it's kind of a long intro this time, but feel free to fast forward through parts of it, but I think it's a pretty good intro, so uh, we will see you next time. Hit it, Phil. Can it be the breeze that fills the trees with rare and magic perfume? Oh, no! It isn't the breeze, it's Jackson time. La, da, da, da. Well, hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. I am joined with Kathy Fuller Seeley here. With she uh, has done so many wonderful Jack Benny books, and she recently, three months ago, four months ago, released the second volume of Jack's Lost Broadcasts. And I love that book, and um, I love the first one, and I love her other book on Jack Benny. So I would suggest get all of her books; they're fantastic. And then I would also uh, over we have John Henderson here from This Day in Jack Benny. Hello. And currently, he tells us that he's been covering, and I don't know if they're they're out yet or whatever. Some of them are. They, yeah, I, he's doing the Orson Welles episodes where Orson takes over for Jack. Um, but go ahead, John, you can tell us. Well, I was going to, two weeks ago, I did the first one where he's gone, where it's uh, Burns and Allen. Yes. And then last week was the first Orson Welles episode and then going uh, from there. Yeah. Ooh. So you're the next one you're on is, is one of my favorites in the whole series. It's when uh, uh, Phil comes back. Uh, I think it's yes. And, and and, that's, that's actually the last one. That's the first Orson Welles episode is the first episode with Phil back. From oh, it is. Okay. Marines. Okay. Yeah. I couldn't remember. So, okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And I love it when he comes back and his whole Orson Welles. <laughs> and, and yeah, it was so great. He, he just comes back and immediately gets into a, a more meaty situation. Cause of course Jack's not there. And so it gives Phil more to do. And, uh, it's one of those things where I would love to know more. It's one of those things we, that I, I, unless you two know, which would be great, uh, more the history of what was going on there. Cause, cause I know that, that he was off in the merchant Marines, but they were only in the merchant Marines for like 16 weeks. And yeah. it sounded like it was like 
what I always took it as is a way to get him out of getting his band members drafted and things that, that sort of took care of their, oh, their, their obligation to the country that way. And they didn't have, but that's just always the way I took it, but I don't know a hundred percent if that's what it was. And then I've had other people, I think Zach, who's not here today, um, I think mentioned to me that, um, that, that he thought it was just that they were kind of, performing for the merchant marine folks oh yeah things. but the thing is but oh, yeah. why they, would they, they leave jack's done. show for 16 weeks to do that i don't well i think that. i think you're right i think it partially maybe to keep them from getting drafted because they're yeah. volunteering and it's in this very controlled you know we're going to do it for the short time we're going to entertain the troops and we're not going to see any combat basically yeah um but the other thing is it also then shows to the country that we're patriotic we're supporting right. the war and that sort of thing yeah but my then my further question is was phil supposed to be done in 16 weeks or was it supposed to go longer but because jack was out sick that they could say hey my boss is sick i need to get in the back in there i i don't know i mean if that had anything to do with it i've, I've mentioned that before and people have laughed at me and scoffed at me and said well you're not going to get the government to like change <laughs> something up yeah. i mean it was probably he was 16 weeks is what he was supposed to do. And then he was yeah, done. Yeah. They but, weren't going to shorten it. <laughs> but um, uh, but uh, behind the scenes, Jack um, actually threatened to quit the show just about that bit when he lost um, uh, both his writers and Dennis, you know, and Phil's yeah. folks going out. He, he ran off to Palm Springs and it took, you know, um, uh, it, it took the uh, ad agency folks from Young and Rubicon to run out and calm him down because um, the draft hit him hard, yeah. uh, hit, hit the yeah. show hard. And so uh, as well as at the time, he was pretty unhappy. He was growing increasingly unhappy. He didn't think the sponsor was doing much for him. And then, as I said, to lose both your two writers you know, and uh, and this idea that Dennis would have to go, and here's Phil going. Which, he's which sponsor was this at the time, the Kathy, that you're saying he didn't feel was doing much for him? Was um, Young and Rubicam, who had been really great in the yeah. Jello years, but as um as it was getting into wartime, he was increasingly unhappy. They weren't willing to spend extra money on the show, but Jello, like you don't care about. I mean, who would nobody but us uh, mice would care about this? Um, Jello couldn't afford him anymore. And and they were trying to move him to Great Nuts Flakes or something yes. else. And so there was a whole lot of tension going on. But let's just say losing a lot of his key staff to um, to the draft or to these other obligations made Jack just up and want to um, quit. And of course, here was uh, Fred Allen did just that for on account of his um, uh, his health. He quit yeah. the air for a while. So, yeah. you know, if we think in the background, there's a lot of turmoil and a lot of we don't know what's coming. Up. Yeah. So yeah. Well, that's I, interesting. I, I kinda... Yeah. Uh, so that that's 43. And this yeah. episode is four years later. Yes. So, yes. so here's John trying to get us back on track. Nice job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but what a no, difference. We tend to go what all over the place. But a difference four years makes. Oh, he's right, got everybody. Right. He's got everybody back. They're running on all the cylinders. This is the golden age. So much is just going so brilliantly in these shows. Oh, it's, it's and you can't. I mean, there's things in these this like this episode. You guys are in for a treat. I mean, it's just every one of these episodes that we that we're playing now in 47. It's why I had one of these guys to join me for the 47 episodes. There, there'll be things. The, the focus is not like on Mary. Mary's just there. 
But the writing for Mary is so much fun. She'll throw in little zingers and sing little things. And, and it's just beautiful. It's like every character, they just are playing to that character's strengths. And it's just beautifully done. Uh, and, and they're still introducing new things. Um, so let's, let me talk a little bit about what they, this, this arc, I didn't realize it introduces so many things, but uh, we essentially are firing the, the sportsman. And then Jack was trying to get him back last, last week. And this, and this week is still going to focus on that some. And the, uh, but last week, something we didn't talk about that much was Mel did the sound of the, of essentially the Maxwell, but at this point, it's not even called the Maxwell, we don't think, as we're talking about it. It's just Jack's car, but he does the whole sputtering sound and everything, and that's the first time he'd ever done it, was was last week on last week's show, and he did it like it was an extended piece. I mean, he, he tried to get the car started three times. I mean, I know that this was an extended piece, because the other thing I've done that, that I, I don't know if John even knows that I've done, I think Kathy knows I've done this, is with last week's episode, when we present it on YouTube, and I'm going to do it for this week's episode as well, uh, I synced it up to the script from 1947. So the actual script, when you play the episode on YouTube, it'll the, it'll go through the script and it'll go through that whole page. And then once it's once either to the next page, it'll switch to the next page. For me doing that, it probably took me two hours to get that done. But I think I learned a lot from it. And I think now I can do it probably within an hour. And really for preparing for this show, I have to listen to the episode anyway. So I'm figuring what I'll do is I'll do it before I ever share the episode with you guys. And, and I'll just, as part of my first, as part of my listen that I have to do anyway, I'll, I'll sync it up. And so chances are it'll only take me an extra half hour uh, over the time I'd have to spend anyway. So it'll, it's going to be fine. But I think it's fun to to watch how that all is uh, synced up and, and, to, and to watch as it comes across. But I can kind of judge, you know, I kind of go, okay, about 90 seconds per page is essentially close in the ballpark. And then I'll steer yeah. it up or down to get it right. Well, I did that on that page and I had to re I had to redo that page like four or five times ago, it can't be this long. And it's like, it keeps going because they do the bit. He does the sound. And then, then they're like, Oh, that almost worked. Let's try it again. And and then there's something I can't even remember the, the joke about rolling down the window. So they roll down the window and try it again. And it eventually works, but, uh, but he takes, it, it takes a nice extended piece. So if you like that, that bit of, of Mel doing that, listen to last week's episode, because it's really interesting how they introduce that whole thing. Now, on this episode, they'll introduce some new stuff, but let's go around first and I'll talk about anything we don't pick up on. But uh, let's go to let's go uh, to John first. John, uh, what do you think about the episode? Where, uh, to me, it's a little more, it's probably of all the episodes, this is probably the most filler of the episodes, because we don't yet get to the new quartet that he's going to bring on next week and things, but I still really like the episode. Go ahead, John. Yeah, I think it's hilarious. Yeah. I think the energy in the episode is, you know, sometimes what's most fun about listening to the Jack Benny show is how much fun the cast is having and the audience is having. Like even, even the bit with uh, Mary reading her letter from Mama, she's been doing that for a long, long time. I was actually surprised. I'm like, 47, they're still doing this letter to Mama yeah. thing. Yeah. And but the the crowd is just roaring like 
it was okay but like the fact that they were having so much fun i enjoyed it way more and then uh dennis day uh his bit is hilarious from beginning to end and you know i i guess are we going to spoil this uh, go ahead yeah you go, you go for it go for it okay so so he does the thing where uh that we'll he'll end up doing over and over again where they set him up you know he he describes something that he's doing in this case it's shaving and he's like, oh, I had so much trouble, you know, with the razor. And then he says, like, well, you know, Jack Jack sets him up with, like, uh, oh. Did you plug it in? Is one thing he says. Sure. Really. So the, one of them is like, oh, the, the, the razor, did you plug it? You know, did you plug it in? And he's like, oh, plug it in or whatever. Yeah. Boy, it's so much funnier when Jack Benny and Dennis Day do it. Anyway, <laughs> uh, they they do this uh, three times in a row. Yes. And. The most, the first, uh, they never do it this many times again, because yeah. like John says, they're just introducing the bit for the first time. And it's it's the same, th- it's funny because it's almost identical thing to introducing the Mel Blanc car sound. They do it more than they've ever done it because it's the first time as well the previous week. And so this one, yeah, so go ahead, John. Yeah, so the first, you know, he does it the, the regular way and it's hilarious. Then he does it a second time, which is a surprise and it's also hilarious. Then he does it a third time and Jack sort of stops him. And it also is hilarious. And then they do two callbacks later in the show. Once Jack, Jack does, does it. it. Yeah. And it doesn't, it's not quite the same. No. And then Mary does a callback at the end. And I think people aren't quite sure what's going on, <laughs> <laughs> but, but it was very funny. And it was, uh, yeah, lots of fun to see also the origin of that bit and, yeah. uh, and why they would continue to keep doing it over well, the years. And I want to pop in about that bit really quick because I love it. I love that bit. The problem I have with it is I think over time it limits some of what Dennis is able to do or what they allow Dennis to do. Cause they, Dennis gets two pages of script time or whatever, in every episode so if that two pages of script time is going to him saying oh bathing suit or whatever right it's because they have to build that joke and then create the joke and it's the same essentially the same joke and so he does that so many times over the next decade of shows or whatever that that I, i i feel like i kind of wish that they didn't have this bit for him because I liked him better with you never knew what crazy thing he was going to say or talk about or what it was going to happen now you kind of know oh they're going into this bit and so that becomes the the whole thing and that happens with a few of the characters on Jack's show where they do certain things well Mary's a good example with her letter to mama uh, or her poems that that they kind of just grab oh we'll just do one of those instead of coming up with a new thing uh, yeah. And you just never, the writers are so good but, at coming up with new things. I want to hear new things. And, and sometimes you don't, you don't get that. They never really, with Jack, they leave Jack pretty open where he can go anywhere. He doesn't, I mean, certainly they talk about age. I mean, they, certainly there's general pieces, but it's not the same thing over and over again. Where, whereas with yeah. Dennis, you can say, this is the same exact right. thing. You know what the punchlines are going to be, you know, and it always works. I'm, I'm not saying it doesn't work. I'm just saying, there's a little more freedom I wish they had than, than, than pigeonholing him in just this, oh, this and oh, that thing. But you're, Kathy, go ahead. You were going to say something. You're ab- I mean, you all are absolutely right. And it shows the challenge of trying to keep a show popular and in the top 
you know, top 10, top five. Um, you could say the writers at Saturday Night Live have the same problem. You come up with a little sketch. It really works. You repeat it because you're getting, you know, the mojo down. Yeah. But then if you do it too often, it inevitably goes downhill. And while, okay, good look, example, look, Kathy, yeah. of that, uh -huh. the yeah. happy days, sit on it, Potsy. I mean, that became yeah. overdone. It became this catchphrase or a became these catchphrases, yeah. but you had to kind of put them in the show and it becomes too because much. Everybody expects right. it. You're right. right. And just and, it, and it's like Fibbing and Molly saying we it. can't visit the closet every week. We have to, yeah. you know, the closet's got to be. And and they didn't. If you people remember the closet is like the thing. Yeah. But if you listen to the shows, it was like once a month they visited the closet yeah. or even less frequent than that. But, yeah, but 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 just in, on the other hand, just as you all have been saying about this episode, the genius of doing things in threes, you yes. know, the, the repeat, the build it up, the build it up Um, when they get to uh, the talent agent's office and he's got what three quartets for them to listen That's to. That's right. Yeah. Or for the chicken sisters, three songs. So there is a, a sort of genius of building this up. And it's kind of like trying to create a song or an arrangement or something and how do we how do we balance how do we how do we keep that mojo going um it's only the first time you're introducing something yeah. you want to keep yeah. going right. doing it three times is cemented in the audience and so the next week we can do it and and it'll be a yeah. callback to this week and then yeah. you then you've got it yeah. good to go forever so yeah exactly so so as i said i, I admire but it can be frustrating when they let things go on too long or run out of great ideas for something but when it all works it's it's genius yes. um, and it and it can go so fast yes so uh, yeah the, and, the and it's interesting which things they keep for how long right like something like the sportsman quit that's an arc and then it's over right yes. and there's some things that they do for a whole season and then after the season it's over and there's other things that they do for 30 years or whatever right right well and one, one of them that stood out to me recently was and i've talked about it before i think was the it was the uh jack wanting to change his name to to john so that they couldn't make as much fun of his name and things and then of course they immediately go to phil shows up and immediately hey johnson and and it and it is right back to making fun of his new name so, <laughs> so they use it for just one episode but it's a hilarious well done episode and it just struck me that i was like how often do you hear such a funny one-off episode that they never really revisit and it, mm -hmm. it's very seldom uh, they they love to revisit things, and I love it that they do revisit them. It's just that balance, and I'm sure they were fighting over the balance of how often do you bring something back up. How and, and it's got to be because these, if we, you know, if all of our audience are huge are, are grateful for them. Remember, these shows were live; they were not repeated. They're not, you know, I mean, they they uh, they weren't supposed to be recorded. So it was what stuck in the audience, in the listener's mind. Mm -hmm. And if you were a regular listener, some people had, you know, could say, oh, even though that was five years ago, it seems like it was yesterday. And other people, you know, might miss a couple episodes. And so there's so many things you had to balance. But it it does truly amaze me that audiences back in the day could remember so much. Yeah. Um, yes. uh, we can play all these because we have them as recorded versions. We can stream them. We can binge listen to them. We can stop them and go and repeat them and go over such little things. It um, amazes me when I hear people talking about listening to the shows years ago, the things that stick in their memory. Yeah. Oh, for it's sure. All pretty cool. So, I agree. Uh, but they said, but I, I really admire um, what the writers were able to do. 
uh, with this mixture of new and old and how often you repeat, how do you structure things? So uh, oh, that yeah. would indeed make it tough, add to the toughness of you trying to put a script with it. Because, you know, that's the problem they also face when they're broadcasting it was the, um, uh, the, the length of time you had to leave for the, um, for the laughs. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if you've screwed up and you've got a blooper and the last go longer, you're suddenly having it somewhere. You cut something, yeah. yep. And then it depends on the speed they deliver the lines. Last week's, uh, and I think it's going to be interesting with me put syncing up these scripts because it's going to give me a different insight into it. Like there's one point where Don doesn't want to do the commercial. And Jack says, no, you go ahead, you need to do the commercial. And so he does it. And he says, I'm not happy about it. I'm not, I'm, you're not going to like this or whatever. And he just runs through the commercial really fast. And so that page, I think I, I put 90 seconds on it or whatever. And I had to bring it down and bring it down because he's reading, he reads half the page <laughs> in just uh, 20 seconds or something. So, so I ended up, I think that page ended up being 50 seconds to get through instead of the standard 90 yeah. seconds or 120 or whatever so so it's just kind of fun to to see that and to it just depends on what they're doing what the bit they're doing and how long it will take to do um like you say and the laugh is a whole nother thing because you got to wait for the laugh and some I'll, I'll like go oh they're almost done he's got like one more line left so i'll add another 10 seconds but then it's like oh that had a big laugh i have to add 25 seconds or 30 seconds to get the whole the laugh in and everything else and, and so again ways of uh acknowledging what experts jack and his writers and everybody had become jack was such a good maestro of yeah. sort of understanding how long the laugh would take and i understand that as they were broadcasting he had signals to the rest of the cast about weight. I don't know the signals, but it would, you know, I mean, yes. lots of things that you had to be, you couldn't just, just be reading your script. You had to always be looking at Jack as he would would help orchestrate the timing of well, these And things. that's so. why this whole show with all the cast is so good. Because what it looks like, what it appears to us like listening to it, yeah. like, wow, this cast, the entire cast has really good timing. It's not so much that it's they all have Jack's timing because he's telling them <laughs> yeah, when right. to stop, when to go forward. Sometimes he's even doing it aloud, especially if he's got a guest person coming on. He'll yeah. say, oh, wait for the laugh next time or what, you know, and, and he'll he'll point things out and which is neat. And certainly through listening to the rehearsals that are available. Right. We got like 20 rehearsal episodes that we mm-hmm. have. Those are really interesting because he will actually talk to them and say, Don, on that line. Uh, I want you to wait a little longer or say it this way or give people little pointers. And he really does come across as both an editor, but a director and a writer and the performer. It's, it's just amazing. I love to hear him do that. Anyway, I've heard very few of those those rehearsals. I'd like to to get to listen to them sometime. Yeah. Well, and what we'll do at some point, we'll go through uh, and and do this sort of thing that we're doing with these with the actual rehearsals. In fact, that might be a fun thing for us to do this summer if we can is because of course, Jack's show will have a hiatus for the summer. So we can maybe do the the rehearsals and go through some of those, which would be awesome. And I think it'd be fun for us to listen to them, but fun for us to also chat about them. But John, um, uh, anything else on this episode or anything? But go ahead. Well, I mean, this isn't really necessarily specifically about this episode, no, but the right. fact that what you everyone talk about Dennis Day and him doing yeah. it over and over again. I, I have to say, as a modern consumer of Jack Benny, I like to listen to 
three or four episodes in a row and then pick a totally different time period and listen to three or four episodes in a row. Because that way, when you end up going back, even, even a month later, all of the callbacks are now funny again. And it's not like, oh, here we are, another one in a row. Right. So, yeah. I, yeah I, 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 it's going to be interesting for you because I, I know that's how you listen to the shows. I knew, you've, you mentioned a number of times. Yeah. I'm like, so if we're going to go through sequentially, how is John going to do it? It'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, a month down the road as we've done uh, a bunch of these episodes to see yeah. how you're feeling about listening to it sequentially for so long, which you don't usually do. So I think. Yeah. But then again, you also on this podcast, you're not just listening to 1947 exclusively, but right. then the next day it's a, it's an older episode. So I, I think it's just the same thing, only more compact. Yes. Uh, yes. And I want to briefly mention, because it's also the Phil Harris show. Yes, I, I was just thinking that myself. we got to talk about Phil because Jack's on Phil's show. So go ahead. Yeah, yeah. well, uh, it's such a great episode. Uh, I don't want to give everything away. I love the little kids in all of the episodes. And in this episode, the bit with Jack Benny and, uh, and, the little and his kids. daughters. Oh, yeah. so good. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. and it's it had me laughing out loud for sure. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting that, especially, and they sort of play it up, especially in this episode. But uh, Phil Harris's character, sort of his character trait that they play up, is essentially his unintelligence, right? Yes. But that's also the same thing that they're doing with Dennis, and yet you would never confuse the two. It's amazing how they can. They can make like dumb jokes for Dennis that totally work for Dennis and different dumb jokes for Phil that totally work. Yeah, for you Phil. can't take you would think they're dumb jokes, right? You, yeah. can, you can take and swap them, but you couldn't. It would be no. totally obvious if you swap their dumb jokes. It wouldn't wouldn't work the same yeah. way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I couldn't even describe what the difference is between them being dumb. Yeah. Really, it's but it's yeah. Well, uh, one is innocence and the other is looseness or, or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Well, well, an, and Phil is, is the uneducated, getting exactly, words wrong, yeah. that sort of thing. Dennis and is Dennis more is just silly. Yeah, just his processing of the world is just different. It's more of a, it's almost a Gracie Allen sort of uh, seeing the world in a yeah. weird, unique Dennis way. And, uh, and, and Jack or whoever trying to understand what, Dennis is getting at and then be like uh, and and I love it that so often it's not Jack so often Jack is saying no I'm not I don't I'm not going to go there but but then Mary is like no I need to know what what are you talking about Dennis and then (laughs) then Jack's like oh no you've asked him now we got to go right or or it's Phil that that goes no I I need to hear this Jackson what what is he talking about and then yeah so I love that but uh no it's funny how like you say comparing the characters then the other thing is just as we mentioned, Jack is on Phil's show. So if you don't normally, because I know some folks just listen to the Jack and they don't listen to the Phil or whatever, I would go ahead and listen to Phil today for sure if you're a Jack fan, because I think you're really going to enjoy it. And they're so infrequent with how often Jack's on this show. Usually it's the Christmas episodes. I think there's only a couple other ones that he does. And this is probably the lengthiest one that he that he does the appearance and wow. and i thought i'd mention too early on this is the first season of course of the phil harris and alice Faye show early on when they're still on the same channel and everything they can they can do more in their back and forth and the shows are a lot more tied together than later on i mean when they're going out of town 
they'll they'll both be episodes taking place in Palm Springs, or they'll both be train episodes, or they'll both. So there's lots of things that that carry through. And Phil will mention Jack's the Jack's show far more often in these early years. Certainly, once wow. they change and and one's on CBS and one's on NBC, oh, there's yeah. almost no interaction between the shows anymore. Yeah, um, yeah that would be verboten. NBC yes. would insist on it. So. Yeah. Uh, I had not heard much at all of the Phil Harris Alice Faye show, so it was very interesting. Um, I don't think on Jack's own show that he would ever have given a quarter to the kids. So I, um, <laughs> I, I'm always amused by um, if you listen enough old radio and you hear when I've heard Jack be on other people's shows, like Eddie Cantor's show or a Groucho Marx when Groucho was on for either Seven Up or a beer yeah, or something. Yeah. And the other writers, you know, usually fall into that pattern. Oh, we need to have him try to steal away cast members or we need to play up Jack's cheapness. And you you learn that other writers are never quite as good no, or, or as no. subtle as, as what Benny's own writers can pull off. And well, so Jack I in was interviews little, yeah. talks about mm -hmm. it. Jack will say in interviews, when I go on other people's shows, man, I am cheaper than I've ever been on my show. Yeah. I'm more <laughs> yeah. vain than I've ever been on my show. I it, it just, I'm old, you know, the 39 thing, they play around with that yeah. way more. He says, he's like, I would never let my writers write what these other people are writing. But if I'm going to be on their show, you know, yeah. it, it sounds yeah. like he just kind of would kind of go with it and, and do the best he can. Of, uh, they always say, you know, does the actor bend to the line or does he bend the line to him? And that would be Jack bending to the line, trying to get his character to reach in, in there and make it believable, even though it's way beyond what his character would be portrayed in his own show. But I would say I enjoy um, Phil and Alice's children much better on their own show. I thought they were kind of, excuse me, I thought they were kind of sticky sweet the few, when they're singing onesie twosie and things like that on the Benny show. Right. So I love these little monsters, you know, hit, hitting up everybody who comes to the house. So as I said, I, I loved their spunk on, on the Phil and Alice shows. So. I do too. I do too. I, the Phil and Alice show has so many great things. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention about the Phil and Alice show before we move on to is I, I've been hearing a lot of people say essentially the early writers were terrible. Oh, just, Horrible, horrible. And the second season, when it becomes Rexall, they get new writers in, uh, Dick Cheval, Chevrolet, Chevalier, I don't know what his name is. Anyway, uh, two writers that later on go into be huge uh, writing um, uh, Green Acres TV show and things. But they're, they're great writers and they do a fantastic job. But I think of the first season writers on Phil's show in the same way that I think of the first uh, Harry Kahn uh, for Jack Benny. Without Harry, he, he laid out a lot of the foundation. Uh, he, he made the sandbox that all the future writers could play in and, and do beautiful things. The same thing goes here. We, we have Julius Abruzio. We have the daughters. We have, we have the relationship between Frankie Renly, Renly and, and, and Phil. We've got Phil and his wife. We've got, we've got Abruzio and, and his wife and their interactions. All of that is all laid out in that first season. It, it might not be as funny as the later seasons because just like in Jack's show, they they don't the the, the early uh, Christmas shopping episodes or the early anything gets better. They build on it and they fine tune it and they fine tune it and that's the same thing that they do with these bits on Phil and Alice's show. And so I totally respect those early writers 
in that they created this this wonderful format that that other writers could even build upon and we shouldn't i just i don't know why people feel like they have to try they have to say this is really good and this is horrible it's like no this is the building that allows this other piece to be good um anyway so that's my opinion uh john you got anything else about this one or I think that this is one of the best uh, Phil Harris Alice face shows I've heard, especially yeah. since it's got Jack Betty on it. Yes, agreed, agreed, and and yeah, I'm just, and I'm just so delighted we can present them as they were originally. Like if you were back in the day, this is how you might hear them: is yeah. is is Jack Benny and Phil Harris the same time frame done the same day, and and hear them back to back like this, and and it's delightful to to do that. So anyway, without further ado, enjoy these shows. We'll be back next week for more jack benny and uh and and phil harris and their shows uh the other thing is you might want to catch us on youtube because on youtube you can actually follow the script along and that's kind of fun too so see y'all next time the jack benny program presented by lucky strike in a cigarette, it's the tobacco that counts. And LSMFT. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. First, last, always. LSMFT. Yes, Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. Friends, it's only common sense that fine tobacco is what counts in a cigarette. And season after season, independent tobacco experts, men who spend their lives buying, selling, and handling tobacco, can see the makers of Lucky Strike consistently select and buy that fine, that light, that naturally mild tobacco. Fine, light, naturally mild tobacco. Real Lucky Strike tobacco. Fine tobacco that means real deep down smoking enjoyment for you. So smoke that smoke of fine tobacco, Lucky Strike. So round, so firm, so fully packed, so free and easy on the draw. At 59, American. The Lucky Strike program starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, Dennis Day, and yours truly, Don Wilson. And now, ladies and gentlemen, let's go out to Jack Benny's home in Beverly Hills, where even as you and I, Rochester is filling out his income tax. Let's see. Name, Rochester Van Jones. Occupation, butler, chauffeur, cook, gardener, valet, masseur, window washer, and author of What to Do in Your Spare Time. <laughs> now, let's see. Exemptions. If married and your wife or husband had no income, or if this is a joint return of husband and wife, list wife or husband. Hmm. I better read that again. If married and your wife or husband had no income, or if this is a joint return of husband and wife, list wife or husband. <laughs> yep, that's what it says. That's what the man, that's what the form says. Uncle Sam said that. <laughs> well, fortunately, I'm single and have no wife or husband. <laughs> Enter your total wages. Oh, hello, Rochester. What are you doing? I'm filling out my income tax, Mr. Benny. It certainly is complicated. I'll help you out if you like. I sure would. All right, let's see the form. Hmm. 
Oh, Rochester, look at all the occupations you listed. You don't work that hard. Uh, don't, eh? No. I got housemaid's knee clear up to the hip. <laughs> what? And at that point, middle-aged spread takes over. <laughs> Rochester, if you want me to help you, pay attention. Now, let's see. Your income. What was your income last year? Uh, I don't want to tell you what my salary is. Why not? Boss, you pay it to me, and I'm even ashamed to tell you. <laughs> Rochester, you've got to put down your salary. Can I write it in red ink? Red ink? Why? I want them to know I'm blushing. <laughs> Never mind. Now for the next question. List any extra monies you received as gratuities, gifts, or bonuses from your employer. Oh, boss, come now. <laughs> Well, let's get on to business expenses. How much did you spend last year? Well, let's see. There was $70 for uniforms. Uh-huh. $20 for a lawyer. Yes. And $50 for advice in preparing last year's income tax. I, I thought I only charged you 40 <laughs> <laughs> But you're, you're lucky it was 50 It gives you a bigger deduction, you see. Now we come to dependents. For every close relative you support, you can deduct $400 from your income tax. Well, let's see. There's my mother. Rochester, I didn't know you supported your mother. Oh, yes, that sweet little old lady I take for a drive every Saturday night. Your mother? I happen to know that every Saturday night you take my car and go up on Mulholland Drive. Damn, it's for the million things. Rochester! <laughs> now, don't give me that stuff about your mother. Last Saturday night, I followed you, and I distinctly heard you mention Lena Horn. I said, Mother, don't lean on the horn. <laughs> oh, sure, sure. Now, Rochester, after you sign this, all you have to do is... I'll get it. Hello, Jack. Well, hello, Mary. I wasn't expecting you. Come on in. Jack, it was such a beautiful day, I thought we might go for a walk. Yeah, let's do that. I feel like going out today. In fact, if you hadn't come along, I was going to call up my girlfriend, Gladys Zabisco, and invite her out. Oh, is Gladys still around? Certainly. Why? I thought Louis B. Mayer auctioned her off last week. <laughs> now, Mary, I don't like the way you're always picking on Gladys. She's got a nice figure. Did you ever see her in a bathing suit? Yes, and she looks like Gary Cooper. <laughs> Only from a distance. <laughs> so what if she is a little thin? She's homely, too. Now, wait a minute, Mary. Gladys may not be the most beautiful girl in the world. I mean, I won't even say that she's the most beautiful girl in the United States. Or in Los Angeles. Or in Beverly Hills. Or in... You know, Mary, I think you got something. Well, I'll get my coat and we'll go for a walk Okay, Jack, I'll sit here and read this letter I got from Mama Well, a letter from your mother, eh? What does the worst years of your father's life have to say? <laughs> uh, I'll read it to you Go ahead <clears throat> My darling daughter Mary Everything is fine at home And the weather is getting to be real nice we're pretty sure that winter's over now because last month a groundhog came out of his hole, saw the sunshine, and went back in again to wake up Papa. What? 
Papa came out, saw me, and punched the groundhog right in the nose. <laughs> oh, your mother just put that in for a laugh. Now, now, where was I? Uh, oh, yes. Even though it's nice now, two weeks ago, we had a severe blizzard. And when your Uncle Harry came in from the barn, his milking hand was frozen. Gee. I hope it thaws out soon, as I'd like to get the cow out of the house. <laughs> Mary, you mean to tell oh, me... Oh, Jack, Jack, please. Oh, oh. <laughs> Your sister, babe, and I are going to the movies tonight and see a new picture. I heard that the picture's all about Jack and his violin. It's called The Beast with Five Fingers. <laughs> no other news, love and kisses, from your mother, the shocking Mrs. Livingston. That's the silliest thing I ever listened oh, to. Oh, wait a minute. P.S. I think your Uncle Harry is thawing out as I just heard a little squirt in the bucket. <laughs> Mary. <laughs> Mary. Look, why doesn't your mother write a letter sometimes without... Oh, who can that be? Say, Mr. Benny, I came over to ask you if it's all right to... Oh, hello, Dennis. Hello. I came over to ask you if it's all right to... Hello, Dennis. Hello. I came over to ask you if it's all right to... How, uh, how do you feel, kid? Thanks. I came over to ask you if it's all right to... Dennis. Dennis, what happened to your face? It's all cut up. I know. When I shaved today, I tried out a new blade. Gee, the way you're cut up. What kind of a blade was it? Single-edged or double-edged? Double-edged. Gee. Well, maybe you didn't have it in the razor right. Oh, razor! <laughs> Well, certainly. You're supposed to put the blade in the razor before you lather up. Oh, lather. <laughs> Dennis. Then, if you don't know how to work a safety razor, why don't you get an electric razor? I mean, that would be easy for you. Well, I tried an electric razor, but that doesn't work either. What do you mean it doesn't work? All you have to do is plug it in. Oh! Now, cut that <laughs> Kid. <laughs> With all the trouble you have, you're better off going to a barber. Anyway, you haven't got a very heavy beard. I know, I take after my mother. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now look, kid. Kid, what did you want to see me about? Well, I wanted to ask you if it's all right for me to sing You Can't See the Sun When You're Crying on the program next Sunday. Yeah, I guess it'll be all right. Let's hear your arrangement of it. Okay. Uh, we'll leave in a minute, Mary. Go ahead, kid. Oh, the 
good, Dennis. In fact, it's one of the most beautiful songs I've ever heard. And I thought the way you... Who came in? Dennis went out. <laughs> well, why didn't you say goodbye or something? Maybe you're not paying him enough. Could be. Well, come on, Mary. Let's go for a walk. Wait a minute. Hello? Hello, Jack. This is Don. Oh, what is it, Don? Well, Jack, this quartet situation is pretty serious, and I think... Don, you... I don't want to talk about the quartet anymore. But I just got a special delivery letter. I don't care if you got a... It's from the sponsor. Oh, sponsor. What does he say? He says, Dear Mr. Wilson, unless Jack Benny has a quartet on his program immediately, next Sunday's show will open as follows. The Lucky Strike program starring Al Pierce. Al Pierce. With Tony Romano, Marjorie Maine, Spike Jones, Stephen Fetchett, and yours truly, Harry Bonzel. What? L-S-S-O-S, L-S-S-O-S. Don, do you think the sponsor is really serious? I'll say he's serious. This letter is written on a Lucky Strike tobacco leaf. Gee, he used his personal stationery. <laughs> well, I'll see what I can do about it, Don. Goodbye. So long, Jack. Come on, Mary, let's go. Okay. You know, Mary, this quartet situation is a lot more serious than I thought. It certainly is. Starring Al Pierce. Hmm. You know, he's pretty good. He only made one mistake. What was that? He used to go on the air every week and say, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. And what happened? Hope became a star. <laughs> I wonder what's the best thing that... Who's that? Hey, Jackson. Hey, Jackson, come here a minute. It's Phil. Oh, yeah. Hey, Phil. Phil, where'd you get that trailer? Huh? That trailer you're pulling. Where'd you get it? Holy smoke, it's hooked on. What? That's my garage. <laughs> oh, for heaven's sake. I better wake up the maid. She lives upstairs. 
Don't bother, Phil. She probably likes the ride. What are you doing around here, anyway? Well, look, Don called me up this morning and told me you were in a lot of trouble with that sponsor about the quartet. Phil, don't worry about it. I ain't worried, Jackson. I'm thinking about you. What? I'm young and cute. I can get a million jobs. (laughs) You don't have to worry about me, either. I can go back to pictures. But, Jack, they talk in them now. (laughs) Oh, stop. Now, look, Jackson... If you don't get a quartet, you're going to be in a lot of trouble, and you know it. Well, yes, I guess so. Why don't you go up to a talent agency and audition some singers? I don't know who to go to. Well, why don't you try my agent? He's terrific when it comes to picking talent. Look what he did for me. Huh? He fixed me up so I'll never have to do another day's work in my life. No kidding. What did he get you? Alice. You mean to tell me your agent got Alice for you? Sure, and when we get ten kids, we have to give them one. (laughs) Well, Phil, with all your joking, maybe you got something. I'll go and see your agent about a quartet. Okay, here's his card. Thanks, Phil. Thanks a lot. So long, Jackson. So long, Livy. (laughs) Come on, Mary. We'll go and see Phil's agent. Jack, here's the talent agency. Yeah, let's go in. Gee, there are a lot of people in here. Jack, I think that's the agent sitting behind the desk. I'll find out. Oh, mister. Mister. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Are you the man who handles the talent? Yes, Nelson is the name. Low State Nelson. <laughs> oh, well, this is Miss Livingston, and my name is Jack Benny. Well, well, I'd have known you people anywhere. It certainly is an honor that you came here first. Thank you. Benny and Livingston. Yes, sir. I'll make a note of that. Auditions are Thursday, and don't forget to bring your piano player. (laughs) What? Look, I'm not here to audition. I'm trying to replace a quartet on my show. Oh, yes, I've heard them. I've got a quartet here that can take their place, and nobody will know the difference. Good, good. They're right in the next room, the Seal Brothers. Seal Brothers. Well, we can change the name. Oh, no, you can't. Why not? Because they're seals. <laughs> what? Yeah, I'll get them for you. Okay, seals, you're on. <laughs> oh, for heaven's sakes, four seals. There used to be five. I gave my wife a coat for Christmas. <laughs> Look, I'm not interested in your wife. You can send those seals back to their cages. Okay, you can go back. He doesn't want you. <laughs> You broke up their gin rummy game (laughs) Come on, Mary, let's get out of here Okay, but I've got another quartet for only $60 I don't care if... $60? Yes Sit down, Mary, let's hear that Come on in, fellows They turn out to be gophers, there's gonna be trouble Look, Jack, he isn't kidding, it's a real quartet Yes, yeah, Mr. Nelson, what are the names of these four boys? John, Charles, Irving, and Thomas What'd you put Irving in there for? To keep from being sued. (laughs) Well. Well, okay, Mr. Nelson, let's hear him. I want a girl just like the girl that married dear old Nan. She was a pearl and the only girl at Else but you. I want a girl just like the 
How'd you like them, Mr. Benny? Well, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Their voices are beautiful. They sing like larks. And the fat one looks like a bald eagle. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Nelson, these fellas may be all right for something, but I've got to have a quartet that can do the commercials for my Lucky Strike program. Oh, they can do that. They can? Of course. Listen to this. Go ahead, boys. I want a girl just like the girl that married Effie Boo. Effie Boo? Like a lucky strike, she's the one I like with her. I'd like to spoon. I'd like to spoon and spoon. Oh, boys, look, that's not what I want, fellas. Look, Mr. Nelson. I like Ellis and Effie Oh, no, fellas, that's not it. That, look at boys. Not that, not, not that. Why'd you stop them? What's wrong? Well... They're not exactly what I want. Very well. All right, boys, you can go. Come on, Mary. I'm sorry I bothered you, Mr. Nelson. Oh, don't go away, Mr. Benny. I'm sure we have something that would... Excuse me. Hello, Nelson Talent Agency. Mr. Nelson left town. What's your complaint? (laughs) No complaint? This is Nelson speaking. (laughs) Yes, we have talent for every occasion. For a wedding? You need what? A violinist. You're willing to pay how much? Six dollars? And dinner? I'll look in my book and see. Violinist, violinist. No, I'm sorry. We don't have any violinists available. Oh, Mr. Nelson, don't hang up yet. (laughs) Jack! Quiet, Mary. Yeah, what is it, Mr. Benny? Ask them what they're having for dinner. <laughs> it's too late now. They hung up. Oh. Now, Mr. Nelson, I think I'll run away. Now, walk. wait a minute. You came in here for a quartet, and I'm going to get you. But one. I didn't like those four fellas you had on. All here. right, so you didn't like them. I have other talent, you know. Hey, girls, come out here. Girls? Yes, their names are Maxine, Patty, Laverne, and Irving. <laughs> Irving again? No, Irving Schwartz. <laughs> now, look. Take it, girls. That's not what I want either, Mr. Nelson. Look, that's not what I want either. Stop, girl. Look, Mr. Nelson. Stop! (laughs) Mr. Benny, why did you stop them? They're wonderful. But they're not what I had in mind. Mary, what do you think? I like the seals. Would you like to interview them? Well, all right. Now, girls, are the the four of you sisters? I am. I don't know about the other three. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, I have to be very particular about my show. Where did you girls work last? Oh, our last job was in San Francisco. We worked on the top of the mark. Well, that's pretty good. How long did you work on the top of the mark? Uh, two months. Why did you leave? We finished painting the roof. <laughs> oh, I see. Well, look, Mr. Nelson, I'm sure I can't find the kind of a quartet I want here, so I think we ought... Hey, just a moment. Nelson Talent Agency. What? Oh, yes, just a minute. Fido. Fido. Fido, you're wanted on the phone. Look, Mary, it's a dog. <laughs> yes, and one of the smartest talking dogs in the country. A talking dog? I don't believe it. I'll show you. Here he comes now. Fido, how old are you? <laughs> Fido, how old are you? <laughs> Fido, say something. I don't know what to do with him. He's been acting like this ever since he saw Nora Prentice. <laughs> Some talking dog. Fido, if you don't talk, when we have dinner tonight, I won't let you bury your bone in my mashed potatoes. Now, come on. How old are you? I'm seven years old. Gee, he can spell, too. Now, Fido, spell cat. K-A-T. <laughs> seven years old, he can't spell cat. <laughs> What a joke. Now, look. Look, Mr. Nelson, I didn't come here to get any trick vaudeville acts. All I want is a quartet, and you haven't got one that suits me, so I'm going. Now, just a minute, Mr. Benny. I've got another quartet that is positively sensational. Look. They're Russian. A Russian quartet? Yes, I'll call them. Tovarovich, Ivanovich, Stepanovich, Baranovich, come here. How can they tell Vich, Vich is Vich? <laughs> Mr. Nelson, look, I, I can't use a Russian quartet. You haven't heard them yet. But all right, boys. Boys, I don't want to hear them talk. Look, I want to hear them sing. Boys, boys! Now, Mr. Nelson, I don't want to hear them talk. Let's not waste time. If they're going to sing, let them sing. Okay, come on, boys. One, two. One, two. <laughs> One of it, two of it. <laughs>
Ladies and gentlemen, during the past week, over one million young people, as well as adults, have been observing National 4-H Club Week. 4-H clubs are made up of boys and girls who are agreed to learn to do by doing some phase of farming, homemaking, or constructive community activity. I, for one, am happy to salute the fine work of America's 4-H clubs and urge all boys and girls between 12, 10, and 21 to join and all qualified adults to enroll as leaders in their locality for the continuation of National 4-H clubs. We'll all be back in just a moment, but first, here is my good friend, Basil Rysdale. As you listen to the chant of the tobacco auctioneer, remember... L-S-M-F-T. Lucky strike means fine tobacco. And fine tobacco is what counts in a cigarette. Speaking of fine tobacco, here are the words of a man who really knows tobacco. Mr. Frank A. Brown of Stoneville, North Carolina. An independent tobacco warehouseman for 25 years, he said, Season after season, I've seen the makers of Lucky Strike buy good ripe tobacco. Tobacco you just can't beat for smoking quality. I've smoked Luckies myself for 29 years. Year after year, at market after market, independent tobacco experts like Mr. Brown can see the makers of Lucky Strike consistently select and buy that fine, that light, that naturally mild tobacco. Fine, light, naturally mild tobacco. Remember, L-S-M-F-T. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. L-S-M-F-T. No doubt about it. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. And this fine Lucky Strike tobacco means real deep down smoking enjoyment for you. So smoke that smoke of fine tobacco, Lucky Strike. So round, so firm, so fully packed, so free and easy on the draw. Say, Don, where's Jack? Well, Mary, he had to leave. He's on Phil Harris's show. I didn't know he was going to work on Phil's show. Yes, I heard them talking in the hall, and Phil offered him some money. Oh, money. <laughs> Good night, folks. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. The F.W. Fitch Company presents the Fitch Bandwagon, starring Alice Faye. You'll never know just how much I love you. You'll never know just how much I care. And Phil Harris. Won't you come with me to Alabama? Let's go see my dear old mammy. She's frying eggs and brawling ammy, and that's what I like about this song. Let's go back to a few minutes ago. The Jack Benny program has just finished, and we find Phil Harris walking down the hall here at NBC. Hooray for Hollywood. Hey, Curly. Oh, hiya, Frankie. Hey, where are you going? Down the hall. Jackson wants to see me. Hey, ukulele Ike. 
What's the trouble with you, kid? What's the matter? What was wrong with you on the show today? Why? Why? Oh, kid, you're murdering that guitar. <laughs> Are you sure that that guitar of yours was toned? Tuned? What's that? <laughs> oh, Frankie, what's the matter with you? Oh, don't pick on me, Curly. I don't feel good. I ain't been able to sleep a wink for the past two weeks. Well, then, Frankie, you ought to do something about it. Yeah, maybe I ought to start going to bed nights. <laughs> Frankie, I don't know why I even put up with you. You're the worst guitar player I ever heard. You're tone deaf, you can't follow the beat, and you always play off key. Yeah. <laughs> Lucky I'm in your band, ain't it? <laughs> all right, all right. Forget about it. Now, look. I want you to hold the band a few minutes because when I get through with Jackson, I want to run over a number. Okay, Curly. All right. Now, let's see. Here's Jack's dressing room. Hmm. <laughs> Look at this notice on the door. Wanted. Use Foxtail for 1919 Maxwell. <laughs> well, he wants to see me. I guess I better go in. Hiya, Jackson. You sent for me? Oh, hello, Phil. <laughs> Phil, where are your manners? Don't you know better than to barge into a dressing room without knocking? Well, I'm sorry. I might have been in my slip. My underside. <laughs> now, close the door, will you? My head is getting cold. <laughs> okay. Look, uh, Jackson, uh, you wanted to see me, huh? Yeah, sit down, Phil. I've been meaning to talk to you for some time, but you see, Phil, I... Uh... Well, well, what's up? Well, it's about your contract. Contract? Yes, you know, that piece of paper you have that starts out to whom it may concern and ends up with an X. <laughs> oh, that. Yeah, you see, this is March, and your contract is nearing its expiration. Yeah? When does it expectorate? Well, do me a favor, will you? For once, try not to be stupid Huh? Force yourself Oh, Jackson The way you talk, I'm a moron No, no, Phil, you're not a moron You haven't made that yet <laughs> I mean, don't get delusions of grandeur you know. What do you mean? I ain't got nothing I'm as healthy as you are <laughs> satisfied on my own show. I have to come over here for that. <laughs> well, what I have to say is, what I have to say is very important. Perhaps it would be better if we discussed it later. Say it's your home. My home? Yeah. You have one, haven't you? <laughs> oh, of course not. Me and Alice is children of nature. We're two carefree nymphs who gamble on the meadow with gay abandon. <laughs> Phil, remind me not to be invited over here again. <laughs> Where did you get an expression like that? Well, on my show, I ain't as stupid as I am on yours <laughs> So far, you've been holding your own, brother <laughs> Listen, Phil, I'll see you later at your house Oh, you're huh? coming out the house I'll see you Okay, later. so long, Jack Hey, Phil, the band's still waiting Are we gonna run over that number? Yeah, Frankie, wind them up I'll be right with you Okay, Curly Go in New Orleans On 
a little street of dreams There I heard a crazy band That was where the blues began There was Memphis Joe with his hidey-ho moaning on his saxophone There was Slip-Horn Slim, you've heard of him and his laughing slide trombone Peg-Leg Pete playing hot and sweet on the bacon pot of can Dancers swayed as they played, that was where the blues began There was dog Face Jet with his clarinet hitting high notes up and down Smokey Moke was there with his slick black hair beating his drums like a clown While the bugger 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 of the big brown jug by a hepcat dressed in jeans That was where the blues were born in New Orleans Peg Leg Pete and his violin made a vacant pot of tin Hollers out, let the folks come in Dog-faced Chet and his clarinet The cutest pair I ever met Broke his reader, I'd been there yet Memphis Joe and his saxophone Slip-horn Slim and his trombone They tuned up and settled down Then they all went to town There was Big Nose Tess from the greasy vest Weeping in her glass of beer There was Gambler Jake playing table stakes With a seaboat engineer Natchez Lil, she was dressed to kill Singing love songs about her man As she moaned, people groaned That was how torch songs began then a cat named Sam in from Alabama started shooting up the flow. Everybody broke through the pistol smoke, fault the windows and the door. While the roar, roar, roar of the 44 busted up those happy scenes. That was how the blues were born in New Orleans. Ladies, whether you wear your hair up or down, long or short, you can win compliments on its loveliness if you use Fitch's Dandruff Remover Shampoo. For Fitch contains a special reconditioning action that makes your hair soft to touch, lovely to look at. Fitch's reconditioning action beautifies your hair by its thorough cleansing process. It dissolves and floats away all traces of dirt and dandruff from the hair and scalp. The antiseptic cleansing leaves your scalp tingling with that clean feeling, your hair shining like twinkling stars and easy to manage. Best of all, Fitch's reconditioning action works equally well for all colors and textures of hair in hard or soft water. Buy an economical bottle at drug or toilet goods counters or have professional applications at your beauty or barber shop. Use Fitch's dandruff remover shampoo regularly. See how it adds exciting glamour to your most becoming hairstyle. Yes? Hello, Miss Faye. I beg your pardon? Miss Faye, don't you recognize me? Julius Abruzio, the grocery boy. Oh, of course, Julius. Come in. Gee, you're all dressed up. You look so nice in that blue suit, and your hair all slicked back, and your shoes all shine. Yeah. Now smell me. <laughs> Must I? Go ahead. Don't be scared. I got on some cologne for men only. You have? Yeah. It's called Mad Bull Number Five. <laughs> Julius, you're not delivering groceries on Sunday. Nah. This is purely a social call. 
Well, that's nice of you. Yeah, ain't it? You know what I did yesterday? What, Julia? Well, when I heard you was on for fit shampoo, I went out and bought all I could just to help you, adored ones. <laughs> you did? Yeah. At home in my room, I got 48 cases of it. <laughs> That's awfully sweet of you, Julia. Yeah. The only trouble is, now I have to sleep on the fire escape. <laughs> oh, that must be Phil. Your husband? Mm-hmm. Take me in your arms, beloved. We shall die together. Oh, Julia, don't be silly. You run along now. Go on. Okay. Farewell, soulmate. <laughs> hey, you. Hey, Abruzio, come here. Mr. Harris. Look, what are you doing coming around here on Sunday? Calling on my best girl. Best girl? Listen, Bruzy, baby Alice is only five years old. <laughs> now beat it. Okay, Mr. Harris. Baby Alice. If that guy ever knew what was going on, he'd blow his brains out. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Phil. I heard you drive in. Hiya, kid. Hey, what's up, Jennifer? Well, Jack Benny called you twice. He said he's coming out here tonight. Yeah, no, I know. He told me. Gee, it's funny, Jack, coming here. He hasn't been to our house since the day we got married. That's right. You know, I've always wondered if he enjoyed himself at our wedding. He acted so strange. Enjoyed himself? Oh, he must have. He's still wearing the shoes he cut off the back of our car. <laughs> idea what Jack wants? No, I don't know what he wants. He said something, I don't know, he was talking about something about next year's program. Next year? Oh, Phil, you don't suppose he's thinking of... Firing me? Nah. <laughs> Perish the thought, beautiful. Jackson couldn't operate without Harris. After all, who'd wheel him on and off? <laughs> Don't be so sure of yourself. Think it over. What do you actually do on that program? Do? Are you kidding? What do I do? What do I do? Well, I come in there every day, and I walk in, and I... I, uh... Well, I... And then, uh... Well, uh... Well, my, I, you... My, how do you handle all that in a half an hour? <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. They have been spreading me a little thin over there lately. <laughs> Come to think of it, uh, Jackson's a little sore anyway, you know. He's sore at the band since we did that show from Nashville. Well, what happened there? Ah, uh, wasn't nothing. Only each musician showed up at the broadcast with a coon dog and a jug. <laughs> well, that was awful. Oh, Jackson didn't mind that much, but all through the program, the guys kept spitting watermelon seeds into the tuba. <laughs> well, suppose Jack is thinking of dropping you. What are you going to do about it? Oh, dropping me? I can't stand for that. I got to be with him. Hey, look, I got it. Maybe we can play on his sympathy, you know. Tell him we're broke or something. Oh, Phil, he'll never believe that. He knows I've been making pictures for years. <laughs> so what? Tell him you blew your wad trying to keep your brother out of Tehachapi. <laughs> Very funny, but it so happens Tehachapi is a woman's prison. Well, that's why it costs so much. <laughs> But you know, honey, seriously, I'd feel awful funny about not being with old Jackson. Gee whiz, I've been with him 11 years now. 
I got to stay with him, honey. I got to. I... Well, even if it means taking less money. Well, don't... <laughs> don't feel too badly, Phil. It's always darkest before dawn. Fuller Brush Man. <laughs> oh, come in, Jack. We've been expecting you. Oh, Alice, I wanted to fool you. Hey, it's good to see you again, Jack. How are you? Fine, fine, fine. Bill's upstairs. I'll call him. Well, no hurry, Alice. Now you have a nice home here. Tell me, how are your children, little Alice and Michael? <laughs> no, Jack. Alice and Phyllis. Oh, yes, yeah. Phyllis is the girl. No. No, they're both girls. Oh, of course. I mean, it's so nice to have one of each. I mean, to each of them. I mean, two, two girls. I mean, you two girls, down? I meant. Why don't you sit down, Jack? Thank you, thank you. My, it's a lovely fireplace, but aren't you folks a little extravagant? Extravagant? Yes, you have two and irons. <laughs> Well, just make yourself comfortable, Jack. I'll tell Phil you're here. Thank you. My Alice is a wonderful girl. So sensible, too. wonder if Phil would want to sell her. Oh, <laughs> Thinking of I get the wildest ideas as I open that checking account. 
hope I don't have any trouble with Phil, though, for next season. If he'll just understand my position. After all, I've got a big cast, Mary's mother. Hello. Oh, hello. You're little Alice, aren't you? Uh-huh. You remember me, Uncle Jackie? Oh, yes. I've talked to you on the telephone. That's right. I don't believe I know this other little lady. This is my little sister, Phyllis. Phyllis, this is Mr. Benny. Hello, Phyllis. You're not afraid of Uncle Jackie, are you? Are you really, Mr. Benny? That's right. Well, prove it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, prove it? Yes, go ahead. Do something stingy. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're daddy's little girl, aren't you? Try daddy's little girl. Whose little girl are you? All right. <laughs> Sorry I stopped. Maybe I'll have better luck with the other one. Alice, uh, what do you have there? Our piggy bank. It's full of quarters. Quarters? Oh, well. How'd you get it so full? Everyone who comes to see Mommy and Daddy gives us one. <laughs> Are you going to give us a quarter, Uncle Jackie? Well, I, I'd like to. Let me see if I have one in my wallet. Oh, look, Phyllis. A pocketbook made like a little mattress. <laughs> No, no, it's not a mattress, honey. You see, I keep my watch in there, and the ticking fooled you. <laughs> oh, Jackson. Oh, murder. Let me see here. I think this is a quarter. So hard to tell through the green mold. Put it in the bank, Uncle Jackie. All right. Here you are. Well, drop it in. My fingers must be sticky. I, I ate a Tootsie Roll on the way over here. There. Hiya, Jackson. Hey, what are you doing? Robbing my kids? Of course not, Bill. I, I just put a quarter in their bank. Oh, shucks, and I missed Haley's Comet, too. Don't be so smart, Phil. I would have put in a dollar, but I, I see it won't fit through the slot. It will if you fold it. <laughs> I was talking to your father. <laughs> all right, kids. All right, kids. Now take your bank and run along because Uncle Jackie and I got business to talk over. Go on. All right, Daddy. Well, Jackson, what do you want to see me about? Well, it's about the show, Phil. You see, uh, next year is, uh, is a new season, and after all... You've been with me for 11 years now. And now, look, Jackson, I can explain about those coon dogs, and anyway, them, them watermelon seeds, why, they gave the tuba a rippling rhythm effect. <laughs> no, no, Phil, it's just that next year... I'll... Hold it a minute, Jackson. I gotta get the phone. It's in the den. Oh, of course. Hello? Hiya, Phil. It's Frankie. Oh, yeah. Hey, I found out why Jackson come out to your house. You did? Yeah, he's afraid of losing you. I overheard him tell his producer he'd do anything to hang on to you for next year. <laughs> oh, Frankie. Oh, this is great. Yeah. You know that Alice and I thought... Uh, I... Hit him for plenty, Phil. Let him have both barrels. He's a sitting duck. 
Oh, gee, this is great news, Frankie. Thanks a lot. And look, yeah. I'll let you know how I make out. Okay, Carly, so long. Sorry to keep you waiting, Jackson. As you know, it's business. And uh, now uh, you were saying... Uh... Yeah, you see, my sponsor renewed my program for next year, and I thought... I might be able to squeeze you in somewhere. <laughs> well, I don't know about next year. You know, after all, uh, I got my own show now. Well, I realize that, Filthy, but I might be persuaded to give you a, a little more money. Yeah, well, that's nice, Jackson. Now, now look, I... look, Phil, look. Now, I've been paying you $85 a week this year. <laughs> but considering, I mean, after all, you have a wife and two children and prices are a little higher now... Next year, I'm prepared to give you an even 90. <laughs> 90 bucks? Oh, Jack, that ain't no money. Why, it costs us that just for food. Food? Yeah. Don't you grow anything around here? <laughs> Stop it, will you? And besides, it's plenty expensive bringing up two kids. You mean your children aren't working yet? <laughs> of course they're not working. And anyway, Jackson, you don't need me on your program. You got Dennis Day. What's he got to do with it? Well, you know how he imitates everybody. Well, yes, he's a clever kid. Well, one of your writers told me as soon as Dennis Day gets my voice down pat, you're going to let me go anyway. <laughs> but, Phil, that may take him a year yet. <laughs> Besides, you got to stay around to coach him. He can't do it alone. I'm sorry, Jackson. I'm sorry, but it just ain't worth for a while for that kind of dough. Well, you're out of your mind. Think, $90 a week. Jackson, it ain't enough. Well, I might go just a wee bit higher. I mean, what figure did you have in mind? $1,500. bucks. <laughs> $1,500? But, Phil... Hotshot <laughs> Petrillo boy $1,500 That's more than I spend in a year I'm sorry, that's my figure You can take it or leave it Now look, Phil Please, please Listen, Phil Listen, my boy Listen listen Jackson, to me. you're hurting me Oh, I'm sorry I'm sorry Now look Look, I'm <laughs> Look, I, I'm willing to be reasonable Now, I'm a just man I'm offering you 90 And you want $1,500 I'll compromise Compromise? I'll give you $95 <laughs> And your boys can spit in the tuba all they want. I'm sorry, Jackson. It ain't no go. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll hurt myself. I'll give you $100 a week. Well, I don't know. $100 you'll give me, huh? Yeah. Well, I don't want to put you in no spot because you need me, Buster. So I'll tell you what I'll do. Just to help you out, I'll take it. Thanks, Phil. It's a deal. You have my word on it. Do you two businessmen mind if I come in? Oh, not at all, Alice. Come right in. Phil and I have just come to terms. Everything is settled and hunky-dory. Oh, I'm so glad. Phil said he'd feel terrible if he wasn't part of your show next year. He did? Mm-hmm. Why, he told me now that he has his own show, he'd even take less money. <laughs> less money? In that case, the deal is off. But, Jackson, we settled on 100. I don't care. You gave me your word. Bill Harris, don't pull that on me. You've been with me long enough to know my word doesn't mean a darn thing. <laughs> but, Jackson, All you right, said... go ahead. See if I care. Starve next year. Starve? Oh, come now, Buster. This wife of mine has money upstairs. We ain't even counting. Wait a minute. <laughs> 
Phil's doing fine on his own Look, show. wait a minute, Besides, Alex, Dennis Day promised me two guests. Wait shots. a minute, Phil. Not I... only that, Phil has six pairs of yellow shoes. You're darn token. I just made five new records. Wait a minute! <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll do it. You're not worth it, but next year I'll pay you $100 a week. Well, that's more like it. Thanks. Gee whiz. I'm glad there's no hard feelings. Well, I'll have to be going now. Okay, I'll walk you to the door. All right, I'll let myself out. <laughs> By the way, Phil. Yeah. The uh, first week, your check will be What's that for? Yeah, I put a quarter in your kid's bank. (laughs) Alice and Phil will be back in just a moment. Actions speak louder than words, and so do the results of Fitch's dandruff remover shampoo. For Fitch removes dandruff completely the first time you use it. Fitch is the only shampoo made whose guarantee to remove dandruff with the first application is backed by one of the world's largest insurance firms. And it's so easy to use. There are just three easy steps. First, do not wet the hair with water. Just apply Fitch directly to the dry scalp and massage briskly. This antiseptic shampoo penetrates the thousands of tiny hair openings on the scalp dissolving all traces of dandruff. Second, add water gradually. Continue to massage. You'll be delighted with the rich, abundant lather that forms to carry away the dissolved dandruff. Third, rinse thoroughly. Since Fitch is completely soluble, only an ordinary water rinse is needed. Just one, two, three steps, and your hair is sparkling, clean, free of offensive dandruff. Use Fitch's dandruff remover shampoo regularly. The results will tell you why it's the favorite of millions. Fitch is spelt F-I-T-C-H. Gee, Phil, it was nice of Jack Benny to drop over here today. Yeah, but I think all that talk about money got him a little rattled. Rattled? Why? Well, he just walked out smoking a bottle of Fitch shampoo. week when the F.W. Fitch Company again brings you the Fitch Bandwagon with Alice Fay and Phil Harris. This program was written by Joe Connolly and Bob Mosier, directed by Paul Phillips, with original music composed and conducted by Walter Sharp. Included in the cast were Janine Roos, Anne Whitfield, Walter Tetley, and Elliot Lewis. Alice Fay appears to the courtesy of 20th Century Fox. Jag Benny appeared to the courtesy of Lucky Strike Cigarettes. They're so round, so firm, so fully packed, so free and easy. Man, you 
Fitch's Ideal Hair Tonic Daily. It makes your scalp tingle with that feeling of new life and pep. Fitch's Ideal is not sticky or greasy. So pep up your scalp and give your hair that well-groomed look with Fitch's Ideal Hair Tonic. Bill Foreman speaking. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Hello again, this is Buck Benny speaking. Welcome to another great episode of the Jack Benny Show. Uh, this, this episode is the capstone of the whole beginning of the feud. I hope you've enjoyed these last number of weeks as we've been presenting, what is it now, we are our 11th week or something like that? Anyway, it's been uh, a great time. And this episode is, of course, the big kahuna, the one you've all been waiting for. Uh, I won't give more away than that, but uh, you will be delighted with this episode. And Jack, of course, is still in New York, and uh, Abe Lyman is still going to be his guest conductor, and he's had a a great run with uh, climbing around with Abe Lyman, and um, he'll get to have, there'll be one more week for us of staying in New York with Jack, and uh, we'll have Abe Lyman back again next week, and we'll have uh, someone from Jack's hometown, and Jack playing an interesting character as well, so make sure you tune in next week for that one. And then Jack will have a very, very eventful um, train ride back to California, and we'll cover that two weeks from now. Um, that's going to be a big episode so this season, just one big thing after another. Uh, anyway, enjoy tonight's episode, and we will... You know what? Tell you what. Let me quickly recap this season, just so we see where we're at. We started the season out with uh, the introduction of Phil Harris, and he was a great addition to the show. And then a few weeks after that, uh, we started with the first Buck Benny skit, which was a neat series of skits that we've had about Buck Benny. Uh, then a few weeks after that, Andy Devine joined the show and uh, enhanced the Buck Benny skits. Uh, then a few weeks after that, um, Fred Allen had a young boy named Stuart Cannon, or Cannon, depending on if I'm pronouncing it or if Jack's pronouncing it, <laughs> on uh, his show and uh, played the bee and uh, started a whole feud off that lasted us over these last uh, three months or so. And then uh, <clears throat> right after this feud gets over, as I, or at least this part of the feud, uh, it will lead us right into the introduction of a, another very, very important um, person in the history of the Jack Benny Show. So we'll just have to see where that goes. So uh, thank you for joining us, and... Uh, Continue to tune in every Saturday to hear these earliest of the Jack Benny episodes that we play. And then, uh, of course, tune in tomorrow night for the latest of the Jack Benny episodes we play from 60 years ago. Uh, Going to be some wonderful, wonderful uh, events happening on those episodes as well. Anyway, enjoy, and we will talk to you next time. Oh, and I thought I'd mention before I play the Jack Benny episode, we will first have a clip that I took out of the Fred Allen show 
that is um, what of last night's Fred Allen show is the most Jack Benny centric clip, and so I thought I'd share that, and then uh, Jack will build on that in his show. So uh, this is probably the last time we're going to do it this way, and because this is kind of the culmination of the feud, or at least at this point, certainly they will have the feud come back and forth, but this is really the of the original feud that started up with the B going through. This is sort of the end of that. So uh, anyway, enjoy uh, these, uh, this special Jack Benny episode and this clip from Fred Allen as well. See you next time. Did you uh, hear Mr. B last Sunday? Oh, yeah. Yes, Jack had a pretty good program, didn't he, Fred? You don't think it sounded any better just because it was coming out of the Waldorf Astoria, do you? <laughs> I'll bet he won't get his program in there again next Sunday without baggage. Why? <laughs> what do you mean, Fred? Jack didn't pull any faux pas at the Waldorf, did he? Why, that okay? You know, coming out, walking down the, one of the long halls there, he saw a lot of empty finger bowls stacked up on a table. You mean to say Jack didn't know what they were? He never saw a finger bowl before. He said, gosh, the next war is going to be terrible. They're making French hats for children. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> Imagine that guy driving up in front of the Waldorf in a trailer. <laughs> the doorman must have been plenty mortified. At the Waldorf? Yeah. The doorman at the Waldorf didn't even know what the trailer was. He thought one of the penthouses blew off the roof. Hey, uh, Fred, did you hear Jack say that you misinformed your radio audience, 400 people around the country? <laughs> he wouldn't know what it meant to cater to the 400. <laughs> oh, and another thing I thought was funny was when he grilled little Stuart Canaan, the one who played Wait the a minute, what was the first thing you thought was funny? <laughs> Never mind another thing you thought was funny. What was <laughs> That thing that was funny. What? Uh, when Jack flew off the roof. Oh, uh, well, he's had plenty of practice flying off the handle. They can't. Uh, he's been modeling for at Hamaka Schlemmers, you know, for hammers down there a long time. He flies off the handle, and if the hammer can't do it, it's ready to sell. But you said about uh, little Stuart Canaan, the. Uh, yeah, he grilled the little fellow, you know. Oh, that little boy who played the bee. Mm. Why that big bully picking on a little fellow like Stuart? Benny's a bully, Benny's a bully, Benny's a bully, Benny's a bully. Why doesn't he pick on somebody his size? He's the kind of a guy who gives Shirley Temple a hot foot. Why, of all the cowards, the last time he got into an argument with the Dion Quintuplet, he invited them outside one by one. Oh, now, wait, wait a minute, Fred. Jack's all right. Why, I think I'll go over and see him next Sunday. Why? I'll... Wait a minute, Fred. You're not going to break up his program, are you? I'll tell him a thing or two. No, I, I won't tax him mentally. I'll just tell him a thing. <laughs> until Sunday. Now I'm going to put my venom on to Perk, and I hope to have it ready by Sunday night at 7 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. J.D.
program coming to you from the Grand Ballroom of the Hotel Pierre, starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston and Abe Lyman and his orchestra. The orchestra opens a program with you from the great Ziegfeld. If you want to save both time and money, serve Jell-O for dessert. Jell-O is easy to make, easy to take, a good-looking, good-tasting, inexpensive dessert that you can make in just a jiffy. Your whole family will go for Jell-O's refreshing true fruit taste. And remember that genuine Jell-O brings you that extra-rich fruit flavor, flavor that comes from fresh, ripe fruit. So brighten up your dinner table some night soon. Serve a great gleaming dish of colorful Jell-O. It looks so attractive, it tastes so good, and costs so little. Ask your grocer for Jell-O tomorrow. But be sure you get the real thing. Accept no substitutes. Insist on the one and only genuine Jell-O. We bring you a fellow who is a big man in Hollywood, a giant in Waukegan, but just another actor in New York, Jack Benny. Hello again, this is Jack Benny coming to you from the Grand Ballroom of the Hotel Pierre. And listen, Don, I'm not such a small guy in New York either. Well then, Jack, how come they won't even let you broadcast from the NBC studios? First you're at the Waldorf Astoria, now the Pierre... Well, it's because NBC is crowded, that's why. Well, uh, how long are you going to stay in New York, anyway? Until we run out of hotels. (laughs) I've been hanging around so many ballrooms, I feel like a chandelier. Of course, there's a certain amount of class and prestige broadcasting from a place like this. Uh, Come in. Mr. Benny? Yes. On behalf of the management of the Hotel Pierre, I bid you welcome and trust that the broadcasting facilities here are satisfactory. They certainly are. Now, if there's anything I can do for you, don't hesitate to call upon me. Well, thank you. Is there anything I can do for you? Yes, don't mingle with the guests. (laughs) Hmm. That's what I get for slumming on the avenue. (laughs) Anyway, Don, it's still a distinction to be able to do our program from here. Not every entertainer would be granted that privilege. Particularly one that I know of. Mm-hmm. And uh, who's that, Jack? Well, I don't want to mention any names, but I don't see how Harry Von Zell can laugh at him every Wednesday night. Oh, Von Zell, that announcer. Yeah. Say, <laughs> yeah. hey, Jack, what product do they sell anyway? Nothing you can put sliced bananas on. By the way, Jack, uh, did you hear Alan call you a bully last Wednesday? Benny the bully, Benny the bully. Well, it's better than being a scaredy cat. Alan is a scaredy cat, Alan is a scaredy cat. How do you know? Oh, Don, he's an awful baby. Imagine a grown man taking ether when he gets a manicure. Anyway, I don't want Alan's name mentioned anymore on this program. From now on, if you have to refer to him, just call him Boo. That's good enough for me. Boo. Boo, Allen. That's a silly name. Well, it fits the character. 
How you doing? Hello, Jack. Hello, Hello Mary. Mary. Where have you been? I was out with Boo in Portland Hoffa. Oh, you were, eh? Well, I should think you'd select your company a little more carefully. Of course, Portland's all right, but I'd watch out for Boo. You know, Jack, he asked me if you really played the boo on your violin. That's the B, and don't overdo it. <laughs> anyway, let's change the subject. All right. Jello is not only economical, but it's easy to make. And remember, it tastes twice as good as ever before. Yeah, now let's change the subject again. Okay, surely. Jack, where's Kenny? Oh, Kenny, he had to go to Hollywood to finish his picture. Uh, but he'll be back again next week, John. You know, Jack, I just got the cutest telegram from Kenny. Oh, then he must have arrived there. What does he say? Uh, he says that... Uh, wait a minute, here it is. Oh. Arrive home safely, weather excellent, trip pleasant, bus comfortable. Oh, he motored back, I think. Uh, scenery was beautiful in Pennsylvania, especially when we passed through Bootown. Bootown? <laughs> he means Allentown. Oh, I see. Uh, he must have read my thoughts. Uh, go on, Mary. Right now, I'm listening to the program, and I certainly miss me. Oh. Uh, you would never know Hollywood. It has changed a lot in two weeks. I can't even find my house, and the Paramount Studio has changed its name to Anheuser-Busch. Anheuser-Busch? Where's that wire from, Mary? Uh, St. Louis. I thought so. <laughs> what a dope. Imagine getting off at St. Louis. Read on, Mary. Uh, P.S. Hmm, P.S. and a telegram. Uh, I just found out that I'm in St. Louis instead of Hollywood. Boy, are they mixed up. <laughs> well, that serves me right for letting him take that trip alone, Say, Jack. Yeah. Oh, hello, Abe. How are you? Oh, I'm all right. Can I talk to you a minute? Sure, Lyman. What is it? Listen, Jack. I heard some pretty bad reports about me on last Sunday's program. You did? Why, I thought you were great, didn't you, Don? Why, certainly you were swell, Abe. Oh, I don't mean my music, but my friends all seem to think that you made me sound like a pretty tough guy. <laughs> but, Abe, gee, we were only kidding. Well, I'm sensitive. <laughs> oh, oh. Gee, Jack, I'm not a bad guy. I'm not a mug or a tough egg or anything. I'm considered a gentleman. Well, I'm terribly sorry, Abe, really. Well, don't do it again or I'll kick your teeth out. <laughs> oh, you will. Are you going to take that from him, Jack? Well, I'd fix him, but I don't want to be known as a bully. Especially without teeth. <laughs> That's gratitude for you. Say, Don, why do I always have trouble with orchestra leaders? What have I done to deserve those constant threats of violence? Am I a magnet that attracts the brutality in my throat? A football to be kicked around from pillar to goalpost? Why must I be eternally ducking behind a microphone? I don't know. Why? While I'm thinking of an answer, the orchestra will play I Got Rhythm. Play, Lyman. I wish Freddie Bartholomew had an orchestra. I'd tell him something. <laughs>
rhythm from Girl Crazy, played by Abe Lyman and his musical Muscle Man. I don't know, Abe, how can your musician be so tough and play so sweetly? I feed him raw meat and cream puffs. Oh, I see. And anyhow, I... Now, listen, Abe, I don't want to argue about anything. I'm too tired. I was up all night uh, doing some last-minute work on my income tax. Income tax? Yeah. Why, Don and I saw you at the Stork Club last night with a blonde. Well, she was helping me. The way she ate, you could put her down as a dependent. Mary, blondes aren't deductible. You know, Jack, I'm glad I live in California where there's no income tax. Why, Mary, the federal tax applies to California the same as any other state. That's funny. I never paid one. You didn't? Well, didn't you get any letters from the government? Yeah. See, I thought it was fan mail. I sent him a picture. Well, you better file a tax report right away or you'll be doing a guest appearance on the Leavenworth Hour. That's pretty good, isn't it? I like it. You better get after it, though, Mary, really. A fine romance with no cheesecake. And on that, I don't have to pay tax. Well, Slap, I really didn't expect you tonight. Tax? So soon when I heard Kenny Baker wasn't coming up here, I came up to offer my services to give you an audition. Oh, really? So are you a singer? That's me, Bing Slapperman. <laughs> the yodel of them Yankees, you know. So you're a singer. Well, that's news to me. Uh, Whose uh, band did you sing with? Goyle Lombardo. Goyle? What a snappy band of rhythm boys. Wow. Oh, the Lombards say, listen, I've listened to them a lot of times, but I never heard your voice. Oh, do they play loud? <laughs> well, Slab, tell me, what kind of songs do you sing? And mostly sentimental. Uh-huh. Like home on the ranch, shoes and saddles, and there's an old swimming pool in the parlor. Swimming pool? That spinning wheel, you dope. <laughs> hey, hey. What? Greg, what's the matter with that Lyman? Oh, you know how temperamental musicians are, especially band leaders. Hmm, Lyman, our band leader. A brush you should have on the end of that stick. Let you said it. Pipe down, Schlepperman. Uh, look, 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 what's talking. Look at him. He works two weeks and already he's a foreman. Don't worry about him. Well, Schlepperman, it was very nice of you to offer your services, but I've already asked Mary to sing a number. Oh, I don't want to sing tonight. Oh, come on, Mary. I'll tell you what. If you'll sing a chorus, I will, too. Uh, you're not offended, are you, Schlepp? I certainly not. I'm sorry you made the trip for nothing. Who made it for nothing? I sold nine suits in the lobby. <laughs> a fine romance effect. Sit down, Schlepp. Mary's going to sing. Come on, Mary. You both like to hear... Would you, would you folks like to hear Mary sing? Would you like to hear her sing a song? There you are, you see? Now you'll have to go through with it, Mary. Hit it, Abe.
Outside. Now, whoever's manipulating that fog on in here has got to cut it out. Well, well, as I live and regret that there are no locks that you live in the If it isn't Boo Allen. Now, listen, Allen, what's the idea of breaking in here in the middle of my singing? Singing? Yes. Now, listen, Betty. I didn't mind it when you scraped that overnight bag two weeks ago <laughs> and called that playing the bee. Yeah. But when you stand here tonight and set that whooping cough to music <laughs> and call that singing, you're going too far. Oh, you didn't like it, huh? Like it? Why, you make Andy Devine sound like Lawrence Tibbet. <laughs> Now, look here, Alan. I don't care what you say about my singing or my violin playing on your own program. But when you come up here, be careful. After all, I've got listeners. Keep your family out of this. <laughs> Listen. My family, my family likes my singing and my violin playing, too. Your violin playing. Yeah. You're using the verb loosely, Mr. Ben. <laughs> Why, uh... <laughs> Why, if I was a horse, if I was a pony even, yeah. and found out, found out that my tail, found out that any part of my tail was being used in your violin bow, I'd hang my head in my oat bag from then on. Well, you listen to me, you Wednesday night hawk. Another crack like that, and Town Hall will be looking for a new janitor. Why? Why, you fugitive from a Ripley cartoon? <laughs> I ought to bend your nose around until if you want to smell anything, you'll have to curb it. <laughs> 
You lay a hand on me. Script. You lay a hand on me. <laughs> Anything we'll say accidentally will be better than the script. <laughs> Me, Benny, and you'll be hollering strawberry, raspberry, cherry, orange, lemon, and health. Oh, listen to that smile of beauty. Keep this up, Alan, and I'll ask Don Wilson to fall on you. And if Wilson falls on you, you know what that means. Huh? Oh, boy, press ham. That a girl, Mary, that's a honey. Quiet, Howard. Howard? Hmm? Yes, Howard, and she doesn't mean that English entertainer, Noel. I... <laughs> Now, Alan, I'm up here attending to my own business. There's no place to settle our private affairs. How did you get in here without a pass? I made one at the door, man, and you're next. <laughs> oh, I am, eh? Uh, gentlemen, gentlemen, don't fight here, please. Why don't you go over to the Medicine Square Garden? You keep out of this, you little squirt. <laughs> well, from now on, your wife will be having both ends of the herring. <laughs> Jackie boy, take it easy. There goes Slapperman. I wish you'd follow him out. Listen, cowboy, why didn't you stay out in Hollywood where you don't belong? Because I heard you were coming out there to make a picture, that's why. You ought to do very well, Mr. Allen, now that Boris Karloff is in England. Well, I saw your last picture, Lionel Benny. Yeah. Until you made a picture, nobody knew what a lull looked like on celluloid. <laughs> And maybe you didn't start bank night, but you certainly kept it going. Oh, yeah? Well, three states are waiting for your picture to be released. They're going to use it instead of capital punishment. Wow! That's telling him, Jack. Who's that Paul Bearer? Stick him, Lyman. Look what's going to make a picture. Fred Allen, the great lover. I suppose Gable and Taylor are losing a lot of sleep right now. Not if they're listening to this broadcast. <laughs> what a witty retort. Where are you going to live in Hollywood, Mr. Allen? At the ostrich farm? I'm a. <laughs> what are you laughing at, Mary? He'll show those birds how to lay eggs. <laughs> Mary, that was marvelous. I'm going to kiss you for that. Then I take it back. Oh, you do, huh? Yeah, she'd rather kiss an ostrich, and so would I. <laughs> Well, Alan, what this gone a little too far. I didn't mind a little mudslinging now and then, but when you make those kind of remarks, it means fight where I come from. You mean your blood would boil if you uh, had any? Yeah. <laughs> and I got just enough to resent that. Mr. Allen, I come from the West. I'm a hard-boiling two-fisted female. <laughs> Have you step out in the hallway? <laughs> I'm ready to settle this little affair man to man. You're here! Yes, sir. This will be the last number of the last program on any Jell-O series. Next week, the Jell-O program starring Mary Livingston. Come on, Alan. You want to go through with this? I didn't come up here to get your autograph. Now, listen, Alan. I'll give you just one more chance to apologize. Apologize? Why, I'll knock you flatter than the first eight minutes of this program. Touches a hair on Jack's gray head, has to find it first. Who said that? Barbara Livingston. Never mind that. Come on, Alan. Get us away. Play, Lyman. Sorry, now I sold my rowing machine. <laughs>
with Hallelujah from Hit the Deck, played by the orchestra, with Abe Lyman at the baton, and Benny and Alan at each other's throats out in the hallway. And the winner will tell his version on his own program next Wednesday night. Oh, now, I don't know about that. Jack can certainly take care of himself. It's Alan he has to worry about. Gee, I hope nothing's happened to either one of them, especially Jack. Well, they're both pretty husky, although Jack did look just a little bit worried. Oh, Jack doesn't care whether he wins or not. He's got a do bill on a hospital. <laughs> Here they come now. <laughs> Gosh, Freddy, those were the days, weren't they? <laughs> You're a card, Jackie. Remember that time in Toledo when you walked into the magician's dressing room and stole his pigeons? <laughs> Do I? Say, they tasted pretty good, didn't they, Fred? <laughs> the bones I got did certainly did, yes. <laughs> Say, Freddy, you remember the guy in the show with us who used to take in washing on the side? You know, the guy that did our laundry? Say, what's uh, Ben Bernie doing now? <laughs> He's got a band, you know, Ben Bernie and all the sun. Say, <laughs> <laughs> hey, we didn't Cleaning make much up. money in those days, Freddie, but we did get a lot of laughs. We certainly it? did, until we uh, walked on the stage. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hey, Jack. Yes, Freddie. Uh, what happened to the fight? Uh, what fight? Say, Freddie, remember that time in South Bend, Indiana, when you were going right. with 40? Hey, uh, and no the... kidding, fellas. What happened to that fight? Why, Don, we were never serious about that. And how did you get that black eye? Oh, this. Well, I was writing a letter. Yes, I accidentally dotted his eye, Mary. <laughs> now, wait a minute, Freddy. I slapped you more than you did me. Look at your wrist. It's all red. Well, I made you say uncle, unquote, when I pulled your hair. <laughs> <laughs> uncle isn't the word, unquote, but let it go. Say, Brad, Brad, uh, here's a package you dropped on your way out to the hall. Oh, yes, that's a box of candy I was going to give Jack. Oh, Freddy. Candy, can I have a piece? Sure, but take the square ones, Mary. The round ones have got cement in them. <laughs> I see. And by the way, Fred, when you get home with that box of flowers I sent you, it's still ticking. Just put it in water. I will. <laughs> I will, and thanks for the tip, Jack. Oh, gee, this candy is swell. Have peace, Jack. Mmm. Say, this is good chocolate. Wonderful flavor. What's it filled with, Freddy? I pan it. Oh. <laughs> well, I was going to brush my teeth anyway. I might as well eat well, it. Well, Jack, I've got to go now. I've, I've got a lot of work to do on my own program. Okay, Fred. Well, thanks for your kind visit and apology. What apology? Never mind. Let's not start that again. Before you go, Fred, I want to tell you that I didn't mind one thing you said about me during our feud. You didn't? Why not, Jack? <laughs> well, I'll tell you. You said the darndest thing, Freddy, but you were so doggone cute with it all. You said the meanest things, you're wacky, riding high, but you're due for a fall. I owe you some words. You said I was bloodless. You said I was tight. You insulted my fiddling. A rootin' tootin' hootin' tootin' hot We said the darndest things, palsy. But oh, we were so doggone cute with it all. And now we're friends. Well, Fred, I didn't know you could sing that good. Thanks, Jack. Well, I, uh, I've i got to leave you now. And, oh, by the way, Mr. Lyman. Yes, Fred. Now, listen, Tuffy. You uh, you lay off on my pal, Jack Benny. That's a hint. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye. Come on, Fred. Come on. Well, well, 
play, Lyman, and watch your step. You heard what Alan said. Why, you little sawed-off punk, I'll take you and oh, take Fred, you from Fred, Fred, Freddy! Freddy! Patrick's Day is only three days away, so you better begin now to get together your shamrocks and Irish colors. And here's a jello dessert that has the touch of color in keeping with the occasion called Emerald Fruit Cup. You make it this way. Just dissolve one package of lime jello in one pint of hot water and then pour into a shallow pan. Chill until firm, and then cut the jello into cubes. Arrange the cubes of lime jello in sherbet glasses, alternating with grapefruit sections. Serve plain or for a distinctive touch. Pour over each portion three or four tablespoons full of ginger ale. Refreshing lime jello with juicy grapefruit. It's a grand combination to start a dinner with and equally delicious as dessert. Serve emerald fruit cup for your St. Patrick's Day dinner, but be sure you make it with genuine lime jello. For lime jello, like all of Jell-O's six delicious flavors, has that extra rich fruit taste. Ask for Jell-O by name and look for the big red letters on the box. They spell Jell-O. This is the last number of the 24th program in the new Jell-O series, and we'll be with you again next Sunday night broadcasting from New York City. And, Mary, I want to tell you your song was swell. Thanks. Hey, Jack, are you really glad that you made up with Fred Allen? Certainly I am. Why? Well, now I won't have to listen to his program to hear what he's saying about me. Good night, folks. Here's a special announcement for our Canadian listeners. All Jell-O sold in Canada is made in Canada. Select some fine romances from Swing Time, written by Jerome Kern. This is the National Broadcasting Company. This is KFI Los Angeles. Time signaled 14 seconds before 9 o'clock. Hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. Welcome to another episode of the Fred Allen Show. This is our final episode of the 1936-37 season that we have available to us. Um, it's uh, last week was kind of the conclusion of the of the feud, and uh, this episode uh, is nice to have that it's the episode dire- directly after that. Um, I'm a little off today. Um, I was going to present, um, read, uh, I found some great articles on Fred Allen that I was going to read to you folks a little bit from, but I think I'll do that next week or something. Um, and I just want to apologize. This uh, podcast is a little 
I don't know. I'm just miffed. <laughs> and I don't know how else to present it to you folks, but, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've been thinking all week just about, um, the fact that this is our last episode of, of this season and there's still, you know, months and months left of this season and there's the beginning of next season and there's months and months of that. We don't have another episode of the Fred Allen show available to us until, uh, December of 1937. Uh, that, that means we're missing somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 to 40 episodes of the Fred Allen show. And, you know, I'd be okay with that because we found, you know, the, we, things have been pretty good for Fred Allen collection. I mean, certainly the 1941-42 season that we had last year, um, you know, what was amazing, how many shows we we had, um, or was it 40-41, whatever it was last year, uh, because those shows hadn't been available in that format and that, in that nicer quality when we had East and West coast feeds and all that for many, many years. So it was great to have those, but my issue here is, you know, I just want to say public library, public library, public, public, public. What don't they understand about that? Um, as many of you know, I visited the Boston Public Library last year, in the spring, and I went through and did an inventory of every Fred Allen show they had. And I happened to know <laughs> that of these 40 missing episodes, they have about 40 of them. <laughs> they're all there they're all there and they've been sitting there for 35 years uh did you know that fred allen's father worked for the boston public library he bound books for them there's probably books there still that you'd pull off a shelf and they were bound by fred allen's father did you know that Fred Allen's father got him a job at the Boston Public Library when he was 14 years old? Fred Allen would go and run. Folks would uh, need a book on a different floor, and he he was in charge of, of, of taking the book to them and running it down to them and uh, required a lot of physicality and running and, and things, and, and uh, he got really interested in books and comedy books and was reading everything he could on comedy, which benefited him for the rest of his life. But, but he worked there from the time he was 14 until the time he was 17. And I was, I was going to imagine a dialogue between myself and Fred Allen that I was going to present. And, uh, with Fred just saying, Oh, well, with all my connections to the Boston public library and my dad working there and, uh, me working there, I just think it's the right thing for uh, my wife, Portland, to um, turn over all of my work to them because I figured they would be, if any place is going to 
honor my work and, and uh, make it available to the public, it would be the Austin Public Library. You know, and uh, I would have said, yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, but in reality, they've done a really good job of just keeping it boxed away. Um, they've inventoried it. I mean, I know what they have. <laughs> they've got a good foot and a half thick stack of indexes to tell you what they all have. But if you want to get to those things that they have indexed, that's the key, isn't it? Um, you can't get to it. And, you know, uh, I was going to read Fred's quote, quote, of course, you know, the famous quote of the radio comedians on the treadmill to oblivion. And that all he has left are the echoes of forgotten laughter after he's done with his career. And if there's any place in the world that should be protecting this legacy and allowing us to have access to it, it's the Boston Public Library. They owe this man, they owe his family, they owe his father, they owe him. His wife delivered all of this material to them. And yet, do we have any of it available? No. They have the greatest collection of Fred Allen that I know to exist. Radio, performances, scripts, everything, letters, they have it all. And you know, they probably aren't releasing it because he's somewhat obscure, but he wouldn't be nearly as obscure if they'd actually released this stuff to us. Anyway, probably long enough of a rant. Um, I will continue to do what I can <laughs> to loosen up uh, the Boston Public Library and see if they will somehow make Fred Allen available for us all to enjoy because they are, after all, a public library, and it would be lovely if they would allow one of their own, Fred Allen, who made good in the world, to have his material available to all of us. Anyway, enjoy this last episode that we have available of the 36-37 season. And... Uh, if you have any connections with the Boston Public Library, please encourage them like I did a year ago that this is his 80th anniversary this year of his first radio show and what a neat thing it would be to have been able to celebrate that this spring with a release of many, many, many of his episodes <laughs> that have never been released before and that aren't available nowhere else. I don't know, I'd like 250 uncirculated episodes of Fred Allen that they have in their collection. To continue on this downer of an introduction, uh, did you know that um, 
Fred Allen died in 1956 on St. Patrick's Day, which a lot of folks have mentioned the irony of a uh, Irish Catholic uh, dying on St. Patrick's Day, but that's just the way it is. So uh, Jack Benny was born on Valentine's Day, and Fred Allen dies on St. Patrick's Day. Anyway, uh, what else? Oh, um, to to complete the whole downer effect of, the, of this podcast, I will now present, uh, I, I just found this a couple weeks ago, Jack Benny's, it's not really a eulogy, it's an interview piece that he did, like, the next day after Fred Allen died. So, um, probably you know, uh, basically today, uh, but however many years ago, um, or today or the next day, I don't know, whatever, <laughs> the day after St. Patrick's Day, uh, so, uh, here's a chance to hear that, and then we'll go right into the episode, and, uh, hopefully the episode will cheer you up after my downer of a podcast, but it's just, uh, you know, it's just one of these things that just kind of annoys me when it's so close and yet so far that we can almost touch and get these things that we not want and uh, and, and yet we can't. So uh, I will certainly um, keep you folks filled in as to any uh, new revelations we have as to these recordings becoming available, which would be wonderful, but... If not, that's the way it goes. And I've uh, got a couple new ideas anyway for some presenting some Fred Allen shows, so we'll go into that next time. Enjoy. See you later. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Jack Benny. Needless to say, particularly to those of you who knew of the association that I've been I've had with Fred Allen must know how terribly sad I feel and how shocked I was last night when I got the sad news about his death. Uh, many people have asked me when we had our feud in radio going on for so many years if we were enemies or friends. Well, to have that kind of a feud, you could only be the best of friends. Fred was, Fred and I were very close. And the kind of friendship we had where we didn't have to prove it to each other every minute because we couldn't see each other often. He living in New York and my being here. But I would like to just add to this that I feel that I have lost a very, very dear pal. Mary and I both feel that way. And that America has lost one of the great wits of our time, comparable to Will Rogers or anyone else you can mention. I know how clever he was because of my association with him and doing so many programs together. 
Yet, with all his great wit, he was a serious-minded chap, and whenever we were together, there wasn't, it wasn't just a lot of fun. It was just a lot of good heart-to-heart talk. Uh, I don't know what else to say, except that it'll take some time before I get over this dreadful news. Thank you. in Town Hall tonight, folks. 60 minutes of fun and music brought to you by Ipana Toothpaste and Salopatica. Ipana for the smile of beauty. Salopatica for the smile of health. Fun with our star comedian Fred Allen. Music by Peter Van Steeden. And our special added attraction, the Town Hall Variety. New music, new voices, new laughs. It's Town Hall tonight. <laughs> Fred Allen as he leads the parade to the old town hall. Fred's leading the band with a shillelagh and is followed by those green horns of the theater, the mighty Allen art players. Let's join the merry throng. Everybody's going. Everybody's Here they come, delicatessen leaders. Morris, why are you refusing to slice some corn beef for Mrs. Corn? The slicing machine is making steady on the radio stand, and it's town hall tonight. <laughs> Professor Kill, the spirits are moving that radio up and down. The radio is merely dancing for joy, madam. It's town hall tonight. Reno divorces. Your grounds for divorce are cruel and inhuman treatment, Mrs. Bond. Yes, George. My husband always turns off the radio on Wednesdays, and it's town hall tonight. Well, sir, here we are before the old town hall. It's St. Patrick's Day, and Fred is welcoming the crowd with a brogue as folks pass inside. Let's listen. Tigare and the Jaber. Old King Cole was a merry old... A merry old soul, folks, and he got that way from coming to the old town hall. Single line, please. Hi not... there, booby boy. Hello, Jason. Hi there, Mrs. Fumble. Step right in. You laugh, you shout like all get out on the inside. So hurry, hurry, hurry. We're all set inside, Fred. Surprising, Harry. (laughs) Peter's opening the show with swing high, swing low. Right, old Fred. Let her swing, Peter. Campaign can do more than campaign to see her 
representing that bombastic baron of big, blatant bursts of bubbling, baffling buffoonery, bristling batter, and biangular oh, bread-buttering, no, blustering, no, blistering no, Fred Allen in person. Gosh, Harry, you left out Bristol and Myers. I don't know how. Thank you, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Now, before we preen our verbal feathers and prepare to give your risibilities a rousing tickling this evening, I hope, I'll read you the town hall bulletin for tonight. Hodge White, everybody's grocer, says that nothing's happened this week, folks, so there'll be no announcement. Thank you, friends, and now we'll get along with the town hall news. The curtain, Harry. Coming right down, Fred. <laughs> the lights go out, and we bring you the latest news of the week. The town hall news sees nothing, shows all. New York City, New York. Dr. R.P. Wodehouse, speaking at the American Institute of General Sciences, claims that hay fever and asthma are increasing in this country. Dr. Wodehouse says... Clearing up of native vegetation and its replacement by alien plants will add to number of victims. Town Hall News shows how sensitive some hay fever victims may become shortly. The scene, a train waiting room. We can sit down here, Wilbur. The 515 isn't ready. Yes, dear. Just an idea. Is your hay fever starting? Yes, somebody's eating strawberries at the lunch counter. The, the straw starts to be sneezing. Strawberries. That reminds me. I forgot to phone the market about dinner. Have you got the number? Yes, it's Haymarket. Don't, don't say Haymarket. You know that hay upsets me. All right, I won't say another word. Achoo! What was that? I don't know. That woman just passed. Is she wearing a goldenrod corsage? I don't know. She's going by again. Achoo! Every time she walks by, I see. I'll tell her to get away from here. Oh, uh, pardon me, lady. Yes, uh, did you call me? you. Would you mind walking around the other way? You see, my husband... Are you intimating that I am ogling your husband? No, but why is it every time you pass, you start my husband's hay fever? I'm a grass widow. <laughs> New York City, New York. A new hit show opens on Broadway to delight New York theatergoers. Critics guarantee evening of laughs to patrons attending play called Yes, My Darling Daughter. Down Hall News presents three-second review of this new laughing show, Yes, My Darling Daughter. Daddy, you say one word has made you the biggest man in Hollywood? That's right, daughter. What is the magic word, Daddy? Yes, my darling daughter. New York City, New York. Eastside Merchants Association agrees to do away with men outside of clothing stores who approach customers and try to pull them into shops. Town Hall News shows old sales approach method on Eastside when the puller-in functioned outside of a clothing store. Monster sale going on inside. My green bomb is sacrificing their suits. All kinds of bottles, herringbone, tweets, tin killers, blind exhaust. Hey. How about a suit, butter? No. Hey, take your finger out of my buttonhole. Step inside. I'll show you a pencil stripe double-breasted that will knock your eye out. No, no, no. no. Get your hand out of my collar. You're stepping in, buddy? No, I'm not stepping in. Now, let me go. I got to catch a bus. You are needing a suit, buddy. I don't need no suit. Now, quit pulling my lapel. You are needing a suit. Who said so? I am saying so. Look. What? 
Oh, what's the big idea ripping my lapel? I can't go home this way. That's what I'm saying. You are needing our suit. Step inside, brother. With the pull-in salesman of this type banished, Town Hall News shows the new methods customers can expect as they pass east side clothing stores in the near future. Hey, boy, there. Talking to me, mister? Yes, uh, confidentially, I'm needing a suit of garments. No. No, thanks. I just bought a suit with four pair of pants yesterday. You could use three coats, maybe, to go with the extra pants? No. Hey, quit jostling me. You're going inside, buddy. Get your hand off of my spine. Quick, Kevin. Inside, buddy. Hey, I thought the east side stopped this pulling in business. So who's pulling you in, buddy? I'm pushing. <laughs> New York City, New York. New 20th century picture, Love is News, is held over a second week at the Roxy Theater. Produced by Darrell Zanuck, written by Harry Tugand and Jack Yellen, Love is News registers comedy triumph. Town Hall News brings you a ten-second preview of this excellent film, Love is News. Wait for this latest paper, read all about it. What's the headline, boy? Jack Benny and Fred Allen kiss and make up. Is that a front-page romance? And how, mister? With those two mudslingers... Love is news. New York City, New York. Ship officers report stormy crossings on Atlantic Ocean. Record gales lash heavy seas, and ships experience trouble in navigating through storms. Town Hall News flashes candid camera shot of a terrible sea. The sea. Encore, encore, Harry. <laughs> I don't know about the bow, but it was good and nichey there at the beginning. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. And now, as I was saying, if, I, if, if you'll bear with me just, just a moment, ladies and gentlemen, I'll uh, I'll try to find out what's on the my mind of this disgruntled Eskimo. If you'll just turn around. Well, I was just practicing. Why, Harry Bonzel, a big boy like you. <laughs> It might have sounded funny, but you know, last night I was reading about Demosthenes. And what are Demosthenes? Oh, spread out. A big boy like you. Demosthenes was a famous Greek orator. And he used to practice speaking, you know, with pebbles in his mouth to improve his diction and enunciation. Like this, looking. Friends, rollers, and corners. And just what do you... He didn't say that. Huh? And just what do you... <laughs> Just what do you hope to accomplish pursuing this strange pastime, Harry? Well, Fred, I, I just thought I'd keep practicing so that when I passed along those friendly tips about salopatica, there wouldn't be a chance of a single word being missed. Because to know about salopatica is to know a mighty effective way to get after those dull, logy, headachy feelings we have so often. Those under-par feelings usually caused by accumulated waste and resulting acidity. You see, ladies and gentlemen... Sal hepatica is the mineral salt laxative that gets after both of those things at once. It removes waste through laxation, and it helps nature combat that acidity. So the next time you feel under the weather, put two teaspoonfuls of sal hepatica in a glass of water and drink it. You'll soon be feeling your old normal self again if you remember sal hepatica for the smile of health.
You see, the Van Steeden and the Ipana Troubadours have just played Serenade in the Night. Now, on Friday night, there will be an... Oh, God. Now, quiet, please. Look, if that is somebody left over from a... Uh, Hello? Well, say you've done it again, haven't you? (laughs) Well, sir, the, the chairman laughed when I said I was going to take the floor. He didn't know the linoleum wasn't paid for. Well, it can lay there with the linoleum. (laughs) If it isn't Portland. Yes, Papa sent me over to see you. It's very important. What's important? Papa says you should make up your mind what night you're going to be on the radio. Well, you don't think just because I went on with Jack Benny last Sunday that the people are getting confused, do you? Oh, they are. I saw the man upstairs brushing his teeth with jello this morning. Well, <laughs> see, you will get a life membership in the Don Wilson Foundation for that. You've saved him that much work next Sunday. Well, that doesn't make any difference. People brush their teeth with jello just as long as they don't try to buy Ipanner in six delicious flavors. They'll be all right. Come in. Telegram for Fred Allen. Right here, boy. All right, sign here. Here's a pencil. Thank you, son. The boy's still waiting, Mr. Allen. Uh, thank you, son. Don't give me none of that, buddy. Now, see here. Listen, Greaseball, I don't mind not getting my tip, but when you try to cop my pencil, you're rubbing it in. <laughs> here's your pencil, Stickler. Okay, cheapskate. That boy's too fresh. Why don't you tear up the telegram and get even with him, Mr. Allen? No, here, you uh, you read it. I, I've got to blow down my neck. Blow down your neck? Yes, I'm, I'm getting hot under the collar. I'll see who the telegram's from. All right. <laughs> what does it say? Dear Palsy Wowsy, Happy birthday to you. I know it isn't your birthday, but I had to have an excuse to send you loads of love. Who sent that? It's signed Jack Benny. <laughs> oh, Jackie, hey. <laughs> He's a prince. Oh, there's a sweet guy, Portland. <laughs> Good old Jackie. Gosh, he's so sweet, he's almost sticky. It's silly to send a birthday wire when it isn't your birthday. Listen, it isn't the stupidity. It's the sentiment gets me. (laughs) There's the whitest guy I know. Yes, you thought he was anemic. Now, listen, don't let anyone tell you Jackie Benny's anemic. He just stays white on purpose so everybody else will look healthy. Gosh, Jack must have a big heart. Why, Jackie Benny's heart's so big, you can put a stethoscope on him any place and get action. (laughs) Did you hear his program last Sunday? Yes. What was that static right in the middle of it? Static? Was it before or after Jack and I sang? It was during. During? (laughs) 
Well, let me tell you something. A lot of people didn't catch our names when we sang. How do you know? Nelson Eddy got 300 wires from people who said they enjoyed his double voice solo. Gosh, to me it sounded like two wildcats picketing a pet shop. Two wildcats picketing a pet shop. <laughs> do you know that the next morning after Jackie and I sang at the pier... All of the flowers bloomed in Central Park. They thought the robins were back from the south. That's done it. That's done it. Right, babe, you don't have to page humble blow. Just drop a hint. I can hear it before it hits the ground. Come on up, Casper. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Portland. I don't mind you bringing people in here, but when they're all wet, they leave puddles. Allison Ham... You ought to be flattered to be seen with a couple of good eggs. Ho, ho. That's telling them, Casper. Ho, ho. Is Casper saying something, Mr. Blow? Only a simpleton can understand Casper. That's why he's talking to himself. Well, you ought to be able to catch Casper's drift, bud. Ho, ho. Somebody ought to... Somebody ought to put a sign on Casper's mouth, open by mistake. I'll take it easy, brother. Yeah. You're jeopardizing the friendship of Humbert Blow, the outstanding theatrical agent of this generation. Mr. Blow furnishes all kinds of talent, Mr. Ballin. Oh, oh, and how? Why, Casper here can put your program on a map, simple. What does Casper do? Imitation. Right. Name your sounds, folks, and Casper goes to town. How about a, uh, a fin calling to its haddie? Quit clowning, bud. How about molasses coming out of a jug? Okay, let's go, Casper. Wait a minute. Uh, uh, wait a minute. Molasses in this weather will take too long. Okay, give us a ginger ale bottle, Casper. Sounded like somebody with false teeth munching castanets to me. <laughs> well, you ain't heard nothing yet. What's next, Castle boy? Oh, oh, a lion. Quiet, folks. One lion. Take it away, Casper. <laughs> How's that, knobhead? It sounded like the Holland Tunnel backfiring to me. Hey, <laughs> no belittling, bud. Can Casper do a Jersey cow, Mr. Blow? Well, Jersey's too far away. You wouldn't hear it. Uh, how about a New York cow? Listen, the only thing that gives milk in New York is a waiter. How can that give milk, Mr. Allen? Yeah, what about philanthropy? Never mind, never mind. Give us the cow. Okay. <laughs> One whole thing, Casper. Two. Boy, are you hot. What's next, Casper? A fog horn. Okay, blast, Community sing. What's that, 
that, Mr. Blow? It's a foul choir. Foul is right. Quiet, dope. Give us that Plymouth Rock on symbols, Casper. an Exterminating Portland. <laughs> so long. Howie. Oh, oh. And now the town hall quartet, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight the boys sing a spiritual called Head Low. Great day, great day. Don't you hear that joyful sound? Joyful. Let us follow the crowd. I feel the spirit and it's shouting out loud. Don't wait too late. Let your better self decide. Give out. Give in. Follow all your pride. Cause every day is judgment day. Let's be on time to hear that good old deacon say. Hello, evil ground. Hello. Talking the
Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you, boys. And now for a thrilling excursion into the realm of the esoteric. Oh, goody. Do we take sandwiches and hard-boiled eggs? Do we take them where? To the thrilling excursion. Oh, Harry. <laughs> that was just my erudite way of introducing a little item concerning beauty in Japan. A little music, uh, Professor Van Steeden. <laughs> There was a time in Japan when black teeth were considered beautiful, so they were dyed black with a liquid composed of iron filings and a species of nut applied to the teeth with a feather. I panna, I panna, I panna. What do you mean I... by that, Harry? Well, Fred, that's just my erudite way of introducing a little item concerning beauty in America, where only sparkling, naturally white teeth are considered beautiful, and where I panna toothpaste plays such an important part in our standards of loveliness. Because Ipana is more than a toothpaste. For when used with massage, it helps tone and stimulate tender gums. The dentists say, When our gums are soft and tender, our teeth are seldom bright and sparkling. Today, our gums do not get the exercise and stimulation they need from the soft, creamy, well-cooked foods we eat. So we earnestly suggest that every time you brush your teeth with Ipana toothpaste, you put a little extra Ipana on your brush or fingertip and massage your gums with it. It's the modern way to give them the toning and stimulation they need to help guard against gum trouble. Since Ipana goes so far in helping you have cleaner, brighter teeth, and as a result, far lovelier smiles, it will certainly pay you to always remember Ipana for the smile of beauty. Well, there's the theme song of the mighty Allen Art Players, and they'll be with you immediately after your station announcement. Gentlemen, we present the little group that inspired that song's success this year's hippies, the Mighty Allen Art Players. Tonight they present a backwoods drama entitled The Great Hillbilly Battle, or Harsh Words Don't Always Start a Feud. It's when somebody says, Oh, shoot. Over to your Peter. <laughs> Hardly daylight yet. First daylight. The sun's slow this morning. Well, everything ready? Yep. Your rifle's loaded and the coffee's on. Good. I'll, uh, I'll take a shot over at the Carver's cabin. Let them varmints know we're up and we're in the feud. Uh, take that, you lout. <coughs> uh. Any luck? Well, I don't know. I shot low into the cabin. Case old Carver's sleeping on the floor. Yep, the carvers is up. They're tardy this morning. I'm getting sick of this feuding, Eli. I ain't been out this cabin for nigh on 40 years. And you gotta stunt your wanderlust, Harry. <laughs> for the last 200 years, Allen's has been feuding the carvers. Three generations, Allen's has been born, farmed, feuded, and died without leaving this here room. Well, it's mighty convenient, but that's all. 
My uh, great-grandpa Luther buried yonder under that uh, butter churn there. <laughs> Grandma Nell's and Uncle Dud's tombstones were using for bookends for Pilgrim's Progress. <laughs> and you're standing on Cousin Nathan right now. It's going to be mighty stuffy in here on Resurrection Day. Them Clean through the wall. Where'd that, where'd that bullet go? Yonder in the potato patch under the bed. Well, I'll, I'll just take another pop at them vandals. Uh, you can take this, you prairie, you bangish. There, I'll show them. Well, that's all the feuding I can go on an empty belly. I'll get to breakfast. Here's, uh... Oh, wait. I can't tell. He's too lazy to shed his eyes. He sleeps with them open. Pa. Unhand me, Daniel Bone. Oh, pa, pa. Eh? Wake up. Pa, wake uh, up. Jeepers, creepers, son. I'm awake. Lord, that's so Lydia Pinkham's picture. Them mangy carvers. Adam, son. I will. Take this, you snakes. Uh, right through that keyhole by there. Say, what's for breakfast? Owl a la king again? No, no. No poultry this morning, Pa. Nothing but coffee. Uh, ain't there no bacon, Ma? Only what's left on the hogs. How many hogs we got left, son? Just the old sow, Bessie. That it effective, ain't he, like? Uh, right enough, Sarah. Come out here to your doom, Bessie. Oink, 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 oink. Yeah, I'll get my rifle. Yeah, now, hold on. You ain't wasting our ammunition, son. Well, I can't jujitsu her to death, Pa. She'll pass out rigid. That's right, Pa. You want to bake and relax, don't you? Yes, well, just put the pig outside the door. The carvers will shoot her. It'll save us a bullet. <laughs> That's cutting down the budget, Pa. Come on, Bessie. Oink, oink, oink. I'll tie a rope onto her so she can't run away. Yep, yep, and uh, better put your hat on the pig, son. Afraid your bacon will catch cold, Pa? <laughs> no, no, but if old man Carver sees a pig with a hat on, he'll think it's you creeping out the cabin on your stomach. <laughs> he's, uh, he's sure to shoot. Well, okie be dokie, I'll, I'll put my Stetson on her. Teddy bear. That looks better on the pig than it does on you, son. <laughs> oh, go shuck your soft corn, Pa. You'll open the door, Sarah. Oh, that, Bessie. Get, Bessie. Right between the eyes. Well, one thing about this fluid, you get service. Drag a really like. Okay, but okay. Oh, you. Ma'am, I'll close the door. Yes, set her over here near the stove, son. I'll uh, amputate some bacon. Gee, you, something's funny. It's you, Pa. You got one of your feet on that red-hot stove. Which foot, son? <laughs> it's the left one, Pa. Gosh, two of your toes is pinkers. Well, could be worse. I still got three toes left. <laughs> Lord, I wish you'd wash your feet, Pa, before you grill them. Wash them? Wash them for what? I ain't showing off at my age. You ought to stand up someday, Pa, or surprise your feet. Well, there goes breakfast. Carver just shot the coffee pot off in the stove. Adam, son. Yeah. Take this, you rat-faced scum. 
<laughs> Bully for me. Who's on, Eli? Yep. Old Carver was making a sign at me. Well, sir, I shot his thumb out from between his nose and his forefinger. <laughs> <laughs> nice aiming, son. No, Postman's got the right of way. It's the only thing us and the Carvers grease on. Open the door, somebody. I'm hauling gingham, Paul. Howdy, folks. Howdy, Howdy Abner. Uh, Told us any mail, Abner? Just your morning batch of insults from the Carvers. Yeah? What word of mouth Venom's Carver up to today? Well, to start off with, he says, you Allens are so low, they'll have to jack you up to bury you. Why, them rodent-eating trash fan weeds munching mongrels. Ditto for me, too. Anything else, Abner? Yep, here's Carver's thought for the day. Let's have it. Well, Carver says, you're so all-fired mean, you wouldn't eat in front of a mirror for fear your reflection had asked you for a bite. <laughs> Why, that narrow-minded misfit? Any reply? You can bet your bottom postcard there's a reply. You can tell Carver for me. He's so filthy. The last time he met a skunk face to face, the skunk went home with an inferiority complex. <laughs> that ought to rile him. Yep, and here's my thought for the day. You can tell that drooling, fork-footed, snuff-dipping gopher that he's so undernourished, his idea of high living is dipping his bread into a rabbit track before he eats it. <laughs> Anything else? No, that'll hold Carver for the day, I guess. Well, I'll get along. Can't hold up the mail. So long. Well, Carver will have to go, son, to answer them insults. Yeah, them slurs will bring him up proper. <laughs> if our son Hector don't want to come home, he could help us with the fuel. Hector's the only Alan ever escaped from the cabin. Say, how'd he get away? I was sleeping that spring. Hector was only four when he stampeded 20 years ago. Yep, creeped right out of the cabin. Kid was so hairy and dirty looking, Carver thought he was a possum. Funny he never sent no word. Well, Hector might have crawled into a gopher hole and quit the human race. You can't tell. Oh, mailman back, Jim. Abner must have forget one of them insults we mailed to Carver. Well, open the door. Hello, folks. Who is it, Eli? Don't know, Parts. Having a suit, but a stranger sporting it. Don't you know me, Ma? Who are you, butter cheese? Why, I'm Hector, Ma. Your male brats have got away 20 years ago. If you're sure enough, Hector, what you doing in that mailman's get-up? Well, Abner let me work, so old Carver wouldn't pick me off coming up the trail. Are you Hector Honor Bright, Bogey? Right as rickets, Grandpa. Just bust into town on a greyhound. Riding dogs is mighty dangerous, Hector. How'd you loll away your youth, son? Been studying at Barber College, Paul. Graduated last week with high honors. Magna cum sideburn. <laughs> uh, what's the uh, latest news out yonder, Hector? Uh, do we still holding them off at Manila? <laughs> just, uh, just gather the rest folks around and I'll give you all the news. We're all that's left, Hector. Why, where's Uncle Dud? Uncle Dud leaned out to spit in 27. <laughs> Carver's got him. Grandma, too? Yep, yeah. She opened the door to shake the broom. They got Grandma between the dustpan and the broom handle. 
Your ma and me is carrying on the feud short-handed, Hector. Then I just got home in time. Sure did, son. I'll oil your gun. No, I ain't shooting, Paul. I came home to stop the feud. You ain't going to throw your pa out of work, Hector. Are you catch, son? No, Paul. I'll come back to bring you tidings. Tidings? What tidings? Well, sir, the president's got a scheme to help folks like you. You can tell McKinley he can mind his old god dang business. Now, take McKinley, Paul. It's Roosevelt. Well, we don't want him and his Rough Riders a button in, mother. Now, sir. No, now, this is another Roosevelt president now. He's got a scheme called uh, sociable security. What's it like, uh, bingo? No, it ain't no gamble, Paul. When you get to be 65, you get paid. Paid? For what? For being 65. It's, uh, it's a reward like. What's that? <laughs> What's that got to do with your ma and me? Well, you got to stop putin'. If you both get killed off before you get to be 65, you won't get paid. Hey, are you sure the government's giving real money? Yep, it's real money, all right, with eagles on it for spending. Well, money makes the mayor go, and I can feel the horse coming out of me. Say, it sounds tempting. We ought to call off the fuel. Now, hold on. Suppose we stop feuding and Carver keeps on a-going. Carver's willing to fuel me. Abner pumped him yesterday. Fair enough. Might as well give in, Eli. Well, yeah, might as well, son. It's real money. Oh, come, come on, on Paul. Well, uh, okay, but okay. The feud's over. Hooray! Now, wait, now, wait. Hold on. Before there's any more cheering, when do I get paid? Right way. Here's your sociable security blank, Paul. All you got to do is sign your name right. Now, load your guns, folks. The feud's back on. What's eating you, Paul? What's up, everybody, Eli? Hold on, son. You ain't a-passing up that money. You heard my battle cry. The feud's on. What? You mean you'd rather die fighting than sign your name to this blank, Paul? I ain't got no choice, son. You know I can't write my name. Come on, you cover. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for the mighty Allen R. players who, as contributors to the rapid decline of the drama, are not to be sneezed at. And the guest we now present, Professor Jameson, is not to be sneezed at either, for he has made a lifelong study of that famous winter sport. The Professor Savant de Luxe says... Uh, during the Middle Ages, ladies and gentlemen, there was a popular belief that when a person sneezed, the soul momentarily left the body, being violently expelled through the nostrils. During that instant of temporary vacancy, the body was at the mercy of the devil who could take possession of it before the soul got back again unless some quick-witted person protected the body by saying gesundheit. Well, now, that's very interesting, Professor. Did all the nations have that belief? Well, some expression of that belief still survives in many countries. In Germany, of course, they still say gesundheit. A French sneeze is greeted with Dieu de Benis. Italians say salute. And when a person sneezes in this country, if a friend has his best wishes at heart, he will say... Yeah, I know, Professor. Sal hepatica. For while sal hepatica won't help you fight off devils, it certainly will help you to fight a cold. Modern physicians say that you can often help throw off a cold more quickly by doing two fundamental things at its very beginning. Remove waste through laxation and help nature combat the acidity that frequently accompanies a cold. And, ladies and gentlemen, you can do both of these things at once by taking sal hepatica. So at the very first sneeze, the minute you feel you're catching a cold, do this. Get plenty of rest. Drink lots of liquids and watch your diet. But first, above all else, put two teaspoonfuls of salopatica in a glass of water and drink it. 
Don't take chances with a cold, ladies and gentlemen. Take Sal Hepatica for the smile of health. Steeden and the Ipana Troubadours are playing this year's Kisses, the vocal kisses by the Town Hall Quartet. for the next event at the Old Town Hall. The mighty Allen Art players are being wrapped in cellophane to keep them fresh for next week. And Fred is distributing shamrocks to his guest stars for tonight. Looks as though we're about ready. All set, Fred? Yes, Harry. This is St. Patrick's Day, and we're making it sort of an all-Irish evening for I, our guests. <laughs> I see. You're Dublin, the entertainment. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'll hang around if you want to laugh at it yourself, Harry. Oh. Otherwise, I'll... After hearing it, I've changed my mind. <laughs> the show really looks swell, Harry. We uh, we have Adrian O'Brien, who in a few minutes is going to be your favorite tenor. The Doherty sisters, Martin Burns, and his Irish band. Gee, that sounds great, Fred. Who's first? Well, first we uh, we have Professor Quigley left over from last week, you know. Oh yes, Professor Quigley, the escape artist. Yes. He had some trouble last week. Yes, but he'll uh, he, I'm sure he'll be all right tonight. Are you uh, you ready, Professor Quigley? Yes, Mr. Allen, right on the job. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, last week you may remember Professor Quigley attempted to escape from a packing cave in three minutes. Uh, just a minute, Professor. I'm making an announcement. I know. I didn't get the full three minutes last Wednesday. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to explain that to the radio audience. Why, my glasses fell off. I could, could have escaped. But you can't see anything in the dark with, when your glasses fall off. I know, I know. You can't see anything in the dark with your glasses on, either. Now, don't change the subject, Alan. I'm raring to go. Well, you want people to know where you, what you're going to do, don't you? I'm going to get in this packing case. They'll see me getting in. You don't have to explain it. I know, but people don't know what you're getting in there for. They might think you live in there or something. Now, listen, Alan. Last week you said if I came up here tonight, I could escape. Now, that's what I'm here for. Talking isn't getting us anywhere. All right, all right. Well, now, don't get sore about it. I'm not sore. I'm not sore. If you just keep quiet a minute, I'll explain everything to our audience. Then you can get in the box and stay there for all I care. I'll be out in three minutes. All right, but... <laughs> but keep quiet. KQ. Ladies and gentlemen, last week, 
Professor Quigley dropped his glasses in the middle of a vital uh, experiment in uh, escape, uh, in the art of escaping, I might say, uh, and wasn't able to get out within his allotted time. Now, tonight, we're locking him in the packing case again and hoping for the best. You look a little winded, Professor. Yes, I was late getting to the studio. I got stuck in the traffic. You're an escape artist and you can't get out of traffic? <laughs> yes, on account of St. Patrick's Day Parade, they kept the green lights on Fifth Avenue all day. <laughs> I couldn't get cross town. Did you, uh, did you leave your car in traffic and run over? No, I didn't. I parked my car downstairs. You did. Huh? I was in a hurry, but I guess it'll be all right yes, there. Yes, it'll be all right. The doorman will keep his eye on us. You can escape with a clear conscience. And now, now, Professor, if you'll get in your packing case, we'll go right ahead with the show. Now, before we start, Professor, try not to escape during one of the uh, professors not as limber as he used to be. <laughs> I remember last week he vaulted right into the bar. Here, Uncle Jim had to sort of give him a little uh, piggyback in reverse, I might say. A piggyback on the other side. Well, uh, if you, before we start, Professor, try not to escape during one of the guest acts, if you will. If you feel the time has come, try to escape, uh, if you can time it, between the acts. You know, it's... Now, wait a minute. It's going, to, uh, it's going to look bad if you pop out and get a big reception while someone's in the middle of a song. I'll be out in three minutes. Every man for himself. <laughs> and now, while Uncle Jim is locking and nailing Professor Quigley in, we'll return to the entertainment. You all set, Uncle Jim? Oh, okay, Fred. We don't want him to get out when we're not looking. Just lock that up. I don't think you'll... The lock is good and secure, huh? But I don't think you'll have to nail it down. We'll all keep an eye on him and see what happens. Now we'll go right along with the show. Our first guest tonight, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to have you meet a beautiful voice possessed by a likable chap. The voice is Tanner, and the young man is Adrian O'Brien. Adrian, this is St. Patrick's Day... And if a gentleman with the name of Adrian O'Brien can't sing his best uh, on the natal day of his favorite patron saint, uh, I'm afraid the race is going to uh, uh, do something drastic about it. You're yeah. from, uh, uh, you, uh, what do you, how do you feel about it? You think anything? <laughs> you feel in rare form to, tonight? Rare voice, I might say. Well, I really should. You should? Uh, I hope it brings out the best in me. Well, I, I'm <laughs> sure that it will. You uh, you come from up in Boston, don't you? Yes. I know Bill McKenney has told me quite a lot about you and told me confidentially that you are considered to be the John McCormick of New England. Is that right? Well, I... Uh, <laughs> I've got much to say down. about that. <laughs> <laughs> you have nothing to say, all right. Uh, I'll settle for uh, Morton Downey. From... <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, uh, how come you spend so much time up in Boston with a voice like yours? Why don't you come over here with all of the nightclubs and radio and one thing and another? I should think you'd have been over here long ago. Well, I was here, Fred, in 1931. 1931? Well, that's five years ago. Well, I was uh, pretty young, just a callow youth at that time. A callow? (laughs) (laughs) And now you have blossomed, as it were, huh? (laughs) Did you hear Jack Benny, uh, uh, and uh, did you hear our song the other night, Jack Benny and I, when we sang? Yes, I did. Uh, you did, huh? Yeah. You know, the next day that song dropped out of the hit parade and got into the sweepstakes winners. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Adrian, well, I want you to know we're happy to have you here tonight, and I'm going to ask you what you're going to sing. Well, in honor of the occasion, I'll sing one of the best-known Irish songs, A Little Bit of Heaven. A Little Bit of Heaven. Thank you very much. 
Have you ever heard the story of how Ireland got its name? I'll tell you so you'll understand from whence old Ireland came. No wonder that we're proud of that dear land across the sea. For here is the way, my dear old to me Sure A little bit Of heaven Fell From out the skies One day And it nestled On the ocean In a spot So far away And when the Found it, sure it looked so sweet and fair. They said, suppose we leave it, for it looked so peaceful there. Then they sprinkled it with stardust, And they dotted it with silver to make it lake so grand. And when they had it finished, sure they called it Before we present the next act, we'll see how Professor Quigley is doing. What's new, Professor? Coming along fine. I'll be out in the jiffy. All right, we'll be... There's the phone, Fred. Well, I'm busy with the professor. Will you take it, Harry? The phone is over on the chair there. Just Hello? What's the doorman downstairs? What? Why, who is it, Harry? The doorman. Something about a car. Well, there. let me talk to him. Professor Quigley, I'll see you. Don't want to disturb any... Hello? Well, Professor Quigley's car is parked near the fire hydrant. You want to talk to him on the phone? Well, I don't know whether the professor can talk to you now. I'll see. Professor! You're right out. <laughs> no, somebody wants you on the phone. What? You want it on the phone. The phone, the telephone. I'll take it. Shall we open the box? No, no. Put the phone down here. All right. Will you take this over to the professor, Uncle Jim? Just set it down there. We wouldn't want to... You all right? All right, professor. All right. Hello? 
You'll have to speak louder. <laughs> what? My car is next to a fire hydrant. No, no, don't move it. I'll be right down. <laughs> okay, goodbye. Everything all right, Professor? Yes. They want me to move my car. I'll be right out. All right, all right. <laughs> now, while we're waiting to welcome Professor Quigley, ladies and gentlemen, our next guest tonight are Martin Burns and his Irish Blackbird. Ladies and gentlemen, this is one of the best-known Irish bands in New York City. Martin uh, Burns, Mr. Burns, and his Irish Blackbirds are very well known at the Innisfail Ballrooms over on East 56th Street and uh, have played practically all of the outstanding Irish festive events in New York for the past several years. And what are you going to play tonight, Mr. Burns? I'm going to play some marches and an Irish reel. You're going to play Kilkenny for me, the boys from Wexford, and uh, the reel, the old maids of Galway. Is that right? Those are the numbers, all right. Martin Burns and his Irish Blackbird. <laughs> Irish Blackbirds. And now, before the next number, come in. Is Professor Quigley here? Yes, but he's uh, pretty busy right now, sir. Well, can I see him? Not from there, no. Now, <laughs> quit stalling, bud. i got to see this Quigley right away. Now, just a minute. Who are you? Police headquarters. Plain clothes squad, bud. Now, where's Quigley? He's in that box. Who are you trying to kid, brother? Professor Quigley's an escape artist. He's in that box. He's busy escaping. Oh, Yeah. Hey, Quigley! I'll be right out! <laughs> now listen, stupid. Your car is parked in front of a fire hydrant downstairs. If you don't get that can out of there in two minutes, I'll run you in. Okay. I'll speed it up in here. Come on, come on. Get out of that box and move that percolator. Well, can't you come back a little later, I'll And the law, Alan, on this bum. Yes? Yes, you, Quigley. <laughs> Open this box in the name of the law. You better open it up, Uncle Jim. Okay, Fred. This is always going to... I'm pushing me out! Open that casket or I'll bust it in! 
I don't this know. This is an outrage. You've ruined my act. You can't get away with this. Come on, punk. You're resisting the law. Now, you better go. This is an officer, Professor. You better go. But what about my performance? I, what about my escape act? Well, listen, if I had a little piece around here, I could get out of that box in three minutes. Come on, Tony. Now, just a minute, uh, officer. Now, listen, what about my there's escape act? we can do about it tonight, Professor. I'll admit you've been molested, and there's only one thing I can suggest. Now, if you want to come back again next Wednesday, <laughs> I think you're entitled to another chance. I'll be here with bells on. Come on, Quigley. Now, Professor Quigley, to you, Flatfoot. I hope you won't have any trouble with that ticket, Professor. I'll get out of that in three minutes flat. <laughs> Professor Quigley never fails. Come on, bum. Pro- <laughs> Professor, B- Professor Quigley will positively appear next Wednesday night, ladies and gentlemen. Will he escape? While you're figuring out the answer, we present our next number. Two young ladies from the county Bayonne in New Jersey. Maria and Julia Doherty. We are happy to welcome the Doherty sisters back on our program tonight, on our Irish night. And you, you girls are going to dance... Uh, a jig or a reel? Which is it? An Irish jig. An Irish jig, huh? And what is the number called? The cow that ate the blanket. Is that the That's one? It. I forgot about that. The, uh, the, cow, <laughs> the cow that ate the blanket. It's milk will tickle you to death. Eh? Well, all right. You go right ahead. <laughs> Gentlemen, before our bird's eye preview of next week's cantata, I would just like to thank the many friends who have taken the time to write to us both about these programs and about the two products that make them all possible. We hope you'll continue to remember the famous tube and the famous bottle. Ipana toothpaste for the smile of beauty, salopatica for the smile of health. Ipana, salopatica. Thank you, Harry. And don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, next Wednesday evening, Town Hall tonight brings you comedy. <laughs> Drama. Honey, phases won't win me over, Schema. I know you're after my money. That's right, lady. Your income tax should have been filed the 15th. Stock market report. Consolidated tin can opened ragged. And music. Good night. Collection this year's pictures performed on this program was from On the Avenue. This is the Red Network of the National Broadcasting Company.